Hey, I'm Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mildred DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 98. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Donovan. This is Jai. And this is Stella. And we are bringing you the comic book news and comic book reviews from the weeks of July 29th through August 11th. Not a ton of news, five books to go over, um, and uh, we, we might actually get a discussion, but every single time I say that, it never ends up happening. But... Uh, I have promises from uh, at least two of the people here that uh, they really want to do a discussion, so hopefully we'll be able to get to the discussion. Oh, yes. So, with that, let's get right into comic news. He's here. Who? The Batman. All right, the very first thing we have is on July 31st, Judd Winnick talked with Newsrama about what is coming up for Batwing. So for this interview, I will read for Newsrama, and Don will read for Judd Winnick. Judd, we've seen Batwing interacting with Nightwing in China, and in August he's encountering a lot of other DC heroes. Was your intent to bring him further into the DC universe? Yeah, we've entered the very superheroic stage of Batwing's development. The first eight issues were meant to introduce him to the readers and set up his character and understand his origin, where he came from, who he was, and how he got here. With these last few issues, we've been diving more into the Batman Incorporated link in his, to his character and also making the scale of the book much bigger. I wanted to make sure we play with all the toys, and Marcus Toe has been really, really great for that. He knows how to draw lots and lots of superheroes, so that makes this a lot of fun. It really feels like a, a Burn Claremont thing going on as far as let's put lots of guys and gals in costumes and see what we can do. Is the series going to stay in Africa for a while or are you hoping to continue showing his travels? No, he's in Africa for a while. In issue 13 and on th- through the, the end of the year, we've got a pretty big story in Africa. But it will have, to be, it will have an international feel. While the story now has a lot of guest stars that everyone recognizes, we'll be introducing new characters in the fall storyline. And we'll introduce a major new villain. You'll see his allies for the villains we've, we've met already, so we'll be building the web of trouble for Batwing. And there are a lot of other heroes running around in Africa, and we're going to meet a bunch of them. So that storyline will be very African-centric, but it will still feel super heroic. That's what we're trying to do. It shouldn't feel like a trip to social studies class, although it does. It should feel authentically, authentically African, but at the same time, like a superhero book. We've also seen Penguin in one of the subplots of the current story. Although it hasn't been revealed what his entire involvement is, is that meant to tie the comic into the Batman universe? Exactly. As I said, there are a lot of toys in this playground, and we're making sure we utilize them in a way that makes sense with the character. Batwing is a soldier in Batman Incorporated, so he's a part of that organization, and he has very, very close ties to Batman. Batman is not just an employer, he's kind of his mentor. The shirt on his back is provided by Batman, but we also try hard to establish how Batwing is his own man. Batwing is a genius. He's not just tech-savvy, he's a builder and inventor himself. And these things are in- intuitive. He's got a photographic memory and the ability to build and create. So because of that, I'm really trying to embrace his man-in-armor feel a little bit more. 
He wears his armor, and the idea is that Batwing has been working on it. So it isn't just body armor with wings, it's got more stuff. It's basically like a big walking utility belt. He's, almost, he's been almost killed fighting Masker and doing other things we've seen, so he believes he needs upgrades. So you'll see him continue to outfit his armor with more and more gadgets, like a big giant walking flying utility belt. So that's who the hero is, but unfortunately for him, he also has a bit of a vicious streak, which he, can, which he has to keep in check. When you're Batman, you have to be a little more calm. All right, so that's the end of that interview. What I get out of that is, especially that last question, I, I feel like Judd Winnick is describing who Batwing is, but we haven't seen Batwing, or who Batwing is, according to Judd Winnick, at least in the first 12 issues. Um, well, we're reviewing issue number 12 today, but the, the issue I'm seeing is Batwing is a genius. He's tech-savvy. He's a builder. He's an inventor. He's intuitive. He has a photographic memory. He has the ability to build and create. When have we seen that? <laughs> I mean, we're 12 issues into the series, and I, besides Batwing randomly working on something in the background, I haven't seen that. So, to me, it just seems like, well, shouldn't we be seeing that a little bit more often if that's who he is? Instead of, he's just some guy with a armor suit, which is all we've seen for 12 issues. So, Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree, and that's sort of like why this book is losing me in terms of investment into um, Dave's character, because like this this is, this interview is um, you know proof that they're basically telling, but they're not really showing. You know, I don't have anything against the Batwing character, but he's kind of two dimensional. I mean, he's a soldier, and he wants to do good, but that's really it. Like, like why does he want to be Batwing specifically? Like, why? I don't know, like, what kind of personality, I mean, what other interests does he have? What makes him Batwing and not just guy who calls himself Batwing? So, so I absolutely agree, and I think that's why um, the sales aren't aren't as good as they, they, they would like them to be, because it's just the character itself, it's 100%, you know, uh, engaging. All right, so then the next interview we have is on August 3rd. Greg Hurowitz talked with Comic Book Resources about his upcoming Dark Knight storyline. So for this interview, I will read for Comic Book Resources, and Joe will read for Greg Hurwitz. The Scarecrow has gotten a facelift, or should I say face-so, in this story. Uh, this is obviously the kind of scary imagery that works well for Finch's interest as an artist, but for you, is it at the root of that self-mutilation for Jonathan Crane himself? He's willing to do anything to instill fear in others. And what he's willing to do to himself is pretty scary, especially because it makes his victims contemplate what he'll be willing to do to them. It also contains a strong element of self-mutilation, and I believe he finds some release in the self-inflicted pain. Another critical piece of your run so far has been Bruce's relationship with his pianist girlfriend Talia. Unlike a lot of his signature flings, Natalia seems to understand something about Bruce's past that both brings them together and keeps them at a distance. How do you bring a new wrinkle into th that idea? Natalia is, is as smart as Bruce, and, and perhaps more emotionally incisive than him. And she's from a hard-as-nails background, growing up in Kiev. She raises hard issues about intimacy, issues I'll further explore in Tech Number Zero. With him, and these of course tie into his unspoken, unconscious fears, fears that the Scarecrow will bring to light. But I also simply like writing intelligent, quick-witted women, and feel like having her be more sophisticated and sharp makes Bruce look all the better for dating her. 
On the flip side, you're also taking occasion to dig deeper into Batman himself through the story. We've seen hints of at how fear has shaped his own creation so far, a common trope for the character. How does Crane's kidnapping of him help peel away the layers of Bruce's mind moving forward? I'm interested in seeing all the layers of armor stripped away from Batman and getting to what drives him. Much of that drives from a devastated, terrified kid in an alley outside a movie theater, on his knees, seemingly broken. I think he made some quiet vows to himself in that alley, not to become Batman, but to feel less, to strive to be more indomitable, so he wouldn't have to, so he wouldn't have to feel pain like that ever again. Right. So that's the end of that interview. What I get out of this interview is that obviously he is definitely trying to redo Scarecrow, similar to what he did with uh, Penguin back in his Penguin Pain and Prejudice miniseries. Um, the one other thing is uh, Natalia is as smart as Bruce. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, I'm going to give Hurwitz the benefit of the doubt and say maybe that was uh, missaid miss because I am enjoying what he's doing in Batman the Dark Knight, but I doubt that Natalia is as smart as Bruce. Yeah, this is another thing where I'm like wondering: Are we reading the same comic book? And not, not to say that the character's dumb or even bad. I mean, I actually I've been kind of digging how she tends to have a brain, but you're saying she's as smart as Batman? <laughs> Come on, let, let's 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 not. I mean, she's a. I mean, I'm not saying pianist musicians are stupid, but come on. Also, I mean, again, again, I also am digging uh, her, which is the t- uh, Dark Knight run, but what he's kind of saying is, I want to explore Batman. What drives him? I think he made some vows when his parents died. I'm sorry, this is kind of stuff that's like really... Isn't that obvious though? I mean, this, that's not something that we have to like find out. Um, and this, I mean, really, this is something that like... You would think, you would imagine with a character with like 75 plus years of history, I mean, even if you haven't read comments before, that they would have already kind of hit that up. I, that just struck me as something that was really, really like obvious for this kind of character in 2012. Not something that like... It's not new ground. He's he's kind of like exploring some. I mean, it's all the same. If you can do that, that's fine. But like, I really don't want them to kind of like approach us as though we've never ever had that approach to Batman before. I kind of wonder if when he says she's as smart as Bruce, if that's him being one of those people who says you know Bruce is kind of a persona of Batman and stuff, uh, which seems a bit contradictory to what he says a bit later in the interview about looking at. Bruce dealing with his parents' death, not as being Batman, but just dealing with the death. And I'm looking forward to that aspect of the story. I think that sounds interesting, but I just wonder if he's saying that, you know, she's as smart as... Because, I mean, Bruce isn't stupid. He's a clever guy, but he obviously doesn't act as nearly as intelligent as he is as Batman. So I wonder if it's something to do with that. Right. On to the next bit of news. On August 6th, Grant Morrison talked with comic book resources about Batman Incorporated and he actually before this interview recently announced that uh, he's actually planning on leaving comic books in the near future Uh, but before he leaves he plans on finishing his 12 issue run on Batman Incorporated Um, so he talked to comic book resources about what's coming up in the series so for this interview I will read for comic book resources and Don will read for Grant Morrison one of the things that stood about this one of the things that stood out about this new volume of Batman Incorporated is that while many expect this to be the an end to your many years with the character, seeing things like Frank Miller esque mutants appear makes you go, Grant is still pulling in more references to stories past. 
What has the challenge been for you in bringing home all those threads while still reveling in what you've loved about the character? Honestly, when I started on Batman, I had no idea I'd be doing six years of it, but it, kept, it just kept becoming more interesting, and I had more ideas for it. This, this is just where it's gone, and it's finally reached its last 12 issues. So I wanted to throw everything into it. With the mutants, we saw them briefly in Batman 700, and here they are again. We're, we're setting them up we're setting them up where we know that in seven years' time, these guys will be the most appalling game, gang in Gotham. They'll be the characters we saw in The Dark Knight. It's about putting it all together, but getting more focus on the emotional side of things. This is Batman, Talia, and Damien, caught in the middle of this gigantic global war. It's really about parents falling out with each other. Only these parents have the power to crack the world in half. Ha, ha, ha. One side has a supervillain army with assassins and man-bats and genetically engineered troops. It's kind of the horror of what goes wrong in a family to just expand it to a global scale. Coming up, we're getting a return of Wingman and Redbird, which is the latest in a long line of Batman and Robin iterations that we've seen throughout the series. What makes this pair the final take on that running idea for the series? When you see who both of them are, it might be slightly obvious who one of them is, but not so obvious who the other is, how it plays out. It's not really what people are expecting. But they're obviously the end of the end game of how many iterations of Batman can we get get to. The whole idea of Batman Incorporated will start to fold back in on itself as Leviathan's schemes become more and more evident. We wanted to create a finish for that in a way. So do you feel as though you've gotten all those finishes put together over the 12 issues as planned? In other words, how definitive an end is this to your Batman work? Yeah, I will say that everything does kind of tie up. Every little thread we've had for the past six years gets a payoff. As I've said all along, it's kind of a heartbreaking story ultimately because it has to be. But I can't say that but I can't say in what way it's heartbreaking. We've seen a little bit of this in the first issue with Bruce Wayne under arrest. Things are happening here that will change things forever, as we always say. So that's the end of that interview. I have to wonder what exactly the heartbreaking story ultimately has to be means, because the the, the thing the thing that immediately comes to mind is could they possibly kill Damien off? Because he was the one thing that Grant Morrison really has left his mark so far on the Batman universe with is by bringing Damien in. Um, I doubt that'll actually happen, but just let's just ponder that and think what what if that actually did happen? Would we really be all that upset? Um, I'd say maybe a year ago we probably wouldn't have been as upset, but I think over the past year, especially since the New 52, they've done a lot better job of making the character more likable and not so much as hated. I'm calling that... Um... Talia is going to die because they've already they've already done the trope of you know if Damien could die, and um, he's not going to die. Um, judging on how emotionally driven the relationship between Batman and Talia has been throughout Morrison's writing, especially going back to like the very beginning with Batman and Son, I think it would be an interesting swerve if he killed off Talia. Is that something that Bruce Wayne would really mourn? He wouldn't just kind of shrug off. He really would treat that as a huge blow, and I could see him like making devastating choices based off of that. Because um, honestly, I mean, I think the idea of killing off another Robin is a really rote, kind of uncreative idea by this point in time. And they've done it twice. And they've played with it several times, even all throughout Batman's history. So I think that, like, killing off not only another love interest of Batman, but, like, a really main love interest, like Talia Al Ghul, would be something that would be interesting, um, even if we could see it coming or not. Yeah, first of all, I'm really upset that Grant Morrison is leaving comics. Is, is that all comics, or... He says Batman? it's all comics. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
does that mean we'll never get that multiversity series, whatever that was supposed to be? No! <laughs> well, here, here's the thing, okay? So, we didn't post the news bit on the actual website because there were it really wasn't news except for the fact that he is only doing 12 issues, which we kind of already knew. But what he said was that he's planning on leaving comics... He is kind of running out his, you know, he's running out of ideas, I guess, is is a way to put it. He didn't actually say that, but he said that he's done his time with, with comics and he wants to do something else, which is completely understandable. But what he says is still on his plate before he leaves is Batman Incorporated, the, the last issues leading up to the 12 issues that he promised... Um, the multiversity thing, which supposedly has been in the works for a while, he might actually already have that done, and it's just been waiting on art for all this time. Because I think it's another one of those things where, you know, it, they've been talking about it for such a long period of time, and with the New 52, it probably just got pushed off because they didn't want to talk about it. And then the other thing is, he said he has some Wonder Woman thing, which I don't know if that's actually the All Star Wonder Woman that they talked about in the past or was at least mentioned in the past um, but he said there was another there was a Wonder Woman project that he was working on too. I would really like to see him do Wonder Woman, that will be interesting. Yeah well I, like you said, completely understandable but I'm going to be very sad to see him go um, I have no idea I mean it's Grant Morrison, I have no idea what's going to happen in this series I just hope that he gives us the best 12 issues that he's ever written but uh, I mean I've absolutely loved all of his run. It's it's really kept me going as a Batman fan, and it's I mean it's what got me started and just kept me going. So I've I've loved every moment of it. Even the low points have still been really interesting, and they've just added so much to the Batman universe. So uh, I'm going to be sad to see it go, but I'm really looking forward to seeing where Batman Inc goes. Alright, so then, moving on, on August 8th, uh, the source revealed the upcoming creators and schedule for the digital first series, Legends of the Dark Knight. I'm not going to run through all of these. Honestly, I'm not really going to run any through any of them other than just to tell you, head over to the website and check out the schedule. Um, the issues do come out every single Thursday, um, and there's a number of creators popping up including uh, Joshua Hell Fikolov, who've worked on Superman and Batman in the past, and we've reviewed some of his issues. And there's a number of other people that are also working on some of the series that are kind of interesting. Phil Hester's doing some art for those. Um, so definitely check out the schedule. And uh, eventually, as uh, they become print copies, we won't be reviewing them here on the website, but I am hoping to get someone to be reviewing them on the actual... Uh, no... We won't be review. We won't be reviewing them here on the uh, podcast, but I'm hoping to get someone to review the uh, print copies as they get released um, on the website, so that we have some sort of coverage for that. Um, so, if you are interested in reviewing those on the website as uh, they get released in print form, which means if you are reading them in digital form, you could start reviewing them now and just. It would just be waiting until the uh, print form is actually released, which I believe the first one is in September. or No, it's actually the first one is in October, I believe. So uh, if you are interested, just email us at podcast at net if you are interested in that. 
The next bit of news, uh, the source reveals that some of the Bat books will be getting some guest creators coming in October and November. Some of them we already knew due to the solicitations that were announced back in July. Uh, the first announcement, which we already knew about, was that Nightwing number 1314 will be written by Tom DeFalco with art by Andres Ginaldo and Mark Irwin. Um, and the story sets Nightwing against Lady Shiva as she is first seen in Kyle Higgins' Nightwing number 0. Um, <clears throat> Nightwing series editor Brian Cunningham shared about the story this quote in this story both Dick and Shiva have grown up some since their first encounter they're not teenagers anymore so it'll be fun to see how each fares in the fair fight wait did I say fair fight forget it Shiva remains the far better fighter so it's up to Dick to find a way just to stay alive and then the other guest creator that was announced is for Red Hood and the Outlaws number 14, uh, guest artist Pascal Alexi will team with series regular writer Scott Labdell. And Eddie Berganza shared this quote, stating, Superman vs. the Outlaws. Even with Starfire, it's a short fight, but what a fight. Now, what brings the Man of Steel on the trail of Red Hood and company will be leading into bigger things for this book and Superman. Stay tuned. Um, so, obviously, solicitations are being released this week after we record this but before it gets released so make sure you're checking out the website for the solicitations but I'm pretty sure at this point there's probably not really any other creator announcements that are going to be changed are they announced is is um, Lubdell and Rockefeller, uh are they not doing Red on the Outlaws because of Superman have they announced they're leaving that book or are they doing both simultaneously Sim uh, Rockefeller is doing Superman I don't know. I have no idea. Oh, yeah. What does it matter? We're going to be reading them anyway. Uh, you don't want to hear me talk about this. Pass. Pass. Maybe Lady Shiva is the new tarantula, and at the end no. of the issue, something bad will happen oh. to poor Dick Grayson. All right, all. moving right along. August, <laughs> 9th. August 9th. This is actually the last bit of news. Uh... DC released a uh, press release uh, to the comic book shops announcing uh, the new schedule for Batman Incorporated. Uh, obviously, Batman Incorporated number three was held from being released in July due to some content that DC Entertainment uh, deemed was inappropriate for the release date uh, in relation to the timing from the shootings in Aurora, Colorado. After holding the issue from being released, we assumed we were just going to get two issues in August and they were going to push it back maybe two weeks. But it seems that is not the case. And uh, according to the press release sent out by DC Entertainment, Batman Incorporated number three will now be on sale on August 22nd. Batman Incorporated number zero will still be on sale in September as planned. Batman Incorporated number four will have a new on sale date of October 24th. And Batman Incorporated number 5, which was previously solicited for October 24th, will now be on sale in November. Um, so basically, Batman Incorporated will just extend further along than initially planned. Uh, obviously it would be nice to have gotten two issues in one month, but if we're only getting another like 10 of these, then it's probably best that they're stretched out so that we get as much as we can over a long period of time. Alright, so that is all of our news. Not a whole lot of news, but news nonetheless. So let's get right into our comic book reviews, and the very first book we have is Batwing number 12. 
It's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. Aw, shake it, duck it. All right. Batwing issue 12. Batwing issue 12. I am one with this land. Written by Jet Winnick. Pencils by Marcus Toe. Uh, moving swiftly, uh, we are in Tundi, 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 the African nation of Tundi, uh, where Batwing has teamed up with Justice League International uh, to stop Lord Battle, a warlord who, from what I gather, I, I, I missed the last podcast, but is taking over. Um, he, he's, he's holding the country hostage, or the nation hostage, with a nuclear bomb that was sold to him by the Penguin. So the majority of this is the Justice League International trying to stop him from possibly setting that off. Um, we see a flashback in the Haven where Batman and Nightwing and Batwing are telling the Justice League International the details. And even though the JLI have been sort of like expunged by the government, they're still under orders by Batman and Batwing to invade Tunity, which Guy Gardner is most pleased to hear. Um, we do have scenes, inter- uh, interstitial scenes with Matu and Lord Battle uh, conversing and how Lord Battle is basically lording over him, bragging that his family's dead and now Battle has owned all of Tunity. Um Justice League International try to try to plan a sneak attack against Lord Battle, but it doesn't happen, and it just becomes a very large uh, battle. He's proven too powerful, and um, is looking pretty grim pretty immediately. Batwing is, uh, goes down, and uh, is feeling remorseful. He can't avenge Matu's family. Uh, back with Matu in the hospital bed, he knocks out his um, his hospital attendant. Goes back to the. Um, I guess he goes to the Haven. I guess he somehow contacts uh, Batwing through up the, through the um, communicator, and with Batman's help, tells him that Tundi has not left for one moment since he arrived uh, in Tundi. Lord Battle has not left Tundi for one moment since he arrived. Uh, somehow, this gives him the clue that once he's off of Tundi's ground, he'll lose his power, and so he. Uh, just basically grabs him and rocks up into the sky and throws him off of Tundi. Um, and he's landed in jail. In indefinite confinement. So, uh, back at the Haven, the day is saved. David says he's sorry that he couldn't avenge Matu's family. And Matu says, yeah, they're gone, but my family still lives on in you. And smiles. But before it ends, we get a preview of the next villain, King Shadow. JBB continued. Alright, Batwing number 12. I... I have to say, first off, I really like the idea of bringing the Justice League International in because that is a title that I am currently reading, and even though it ends this month, it is uh, it's something that I really like, the fact that, you know, even though the title is ending, they're bringing the characters into Batwing. Um, I hope to see the characters pop into Batwing a little bit more often. I'm actually really hoping that some of the more Batman Incorporated people, not just necessarily the immediate Bat family, but some of the other uh, you know the other characters within Batman Incorporated. I'm really hoping that they pop up in uh, Batwing as well at some point. And that is because, as I said earlier during that uh, Judd Winnick interview about Batwing, Batwing is two two dimensional, and there's not a lot going on there. And I really want something more to happen. And when he interacts with these other characters. That's really when Judd Winnick, I feel, is flourishing, is when he is actually, when Batwing is actually interacting with these other characters. When he's by himself and it's just him and, and him and talking to Matua and comms, it is not interesting. I don't find it interesting whatsoever. 
But that's why I like this issue is because it's not that it's it's he's interacting with members of Justice League International. He's interacting with Batman. He's interacting with Nightwing. And as much as I'd love this book to flourish on its own without you know all of the guest appearances, maybe that's what this book really just needs to be is a guest appearance book every single month, which is sad because it really shouldn't need to be that. But the reality is that it's not interesting to me if it is just Batwing talking to Matu on comps. I have to say that... I have to say it's kind of interesting that the the whole Lord Battle, his whole thing was, oh, we just have to take him out of the land. I'm not going to say that was predictable, because I didn't really see it coming until they said, oh, by the way, he's never left the, left the land since he got his powers. Then I realized it. But the, the thing about it is more of the fact that it just seems like it's so anticlimactic. It's, oh, well, he leaves the land, oh, his powers are gone, and everybody inside of his, his land is now, is now, you know, all the crops are wilting and all of this. It's just, I don't know, it's just very anticlimactic for me. Um, I thought the art by Marcus Toe was good. As, as stated in that interview earlier, Marcus Toe really does know how to draw really well. He, he knows how to draw a lot of superheroes, and he did it very well. Um, Marcus Toe could probably be on any bad book or really any DC Universe book, but I'm glad that he is on a bad book, and I'm hoping that, as I said, we see some more people that uh, Marcus Toe can draw in the future. Um, overall, I'm going to give this three and a half out of five batterings. I agree with Dustin. I wasn't really interested in this uh, this issue. The biggest draw for me was Marcus Toe's art. I actually think he did, a, and again, another knockout job because I'm finding myself just staring at the artwork. Um, part of it is the digital coloring, which is very, very nice. But just, I mean, every panel looks great. Um, but the story is is very, I mean, if you pick this up and, I know this is like the end of a story, but like if you show this to anybody, it's just, you know, it's sort of like what people kind of assume comics to be. Just supervillains and superheroes fighting each other with, with property damage, and that's basically it. Um, and there's no, there's no real gravitas. Go- I know they're, they're fighting for a, a, an African nation. Uh, a city, a country, you know, lots of people's lives are hanging on the balance. But not for one instance do you care, or at least do I care. Um, when Lord Battle is talking to Matu saying, uh, or and Matu says, you've killed every member of my family. I don't feel that uh, Matu is really feeling that. I mean, that that should really be a, a, a big character change for him. But by the end of the story, he's like, well, I still have my family and you, David, the one person who I'm not actually related to. And it's just, <laughs> it's too easy. It's not it's not very well illustrated that these people have any other purpose besides just showing up and fighting bad guys. I mean, if the Justice League International are in this thing, I, I mean, we get, we get some, you know, quips from Guy Gardner, but I would feel that, like, you know, maybe since Batwing's part of the J- JLI in the first place, we would see some interaction between him and the members, but we just see him shouting off orders and fighting Lord Battle. And, I don't know, it's, it's just, it, it just feels too kind of, too clinical and not really interesting to read. It's not bad. I mean, the writing technically is okay, but it's, it doesn't grab you like a Batman book technically should. Um, so I'll give it two, two and a half out of five batterings. I totally get what Don means about it being, you know, what people assume comic books would be and that sort of thing. But um, I really liked Batwing's interaction with the Justice League International. I thought they worked quite well as a team because, you know, they're not the they're definitely not the the heroes that everybody knows and stuff. I mean, I only know half of them, to be honest. But 
it was fun reading them and their interactions with each other. I thought they worked well as a team and having even though Batman was still there kind of directing it all, it was still nice to have Batwing kind of taking control in there as well. And even more so than Nightwing, which was nice so that the the title character does have at least the second most control. The plot point about how the plot how Lord Battle or how he's connected to his land and so it was kind of goofy, but I thought it was kind of it was interesting about how you know they take him out of the land and the the land starts to decay, and you know you got to kind of think about make that decision about what to do because you can't just take him away because then the land is going to die as well. But I think they could have done more with it, and there could have been more emotion put into it where it was kind of like, oh look at all this horrible stuff that's happening when you take him away. I know we'll just put him in prison and make him stay there. <laughs> Whereas, like, there was no real redemption, it seems, from for him. Like, he, d- it doesn't seem like he really learnt his lesson. He's just kind of sitting there in prison at the end, looking all badass. And you know, it would have been nice to have some kind of him going back to what he says about. Because he mentions, you know, at the start, that's why I came here, you know, to make this land fertile and do good by the people. And it'd be nice if he kind of went back to that and have some kind of, like. So instead of bat- Batwing and the team just beating them up, if they actually kind of fixed the problem, but I, I still enjoyed the the team dynamic of the book and thought it was a a fun read, but nothing noteworthy. So I'll give it three and a half, uh, three out of five Batwings. I I too, along with everyone else, I really thought it was a strong opening. You know, having these Justice League international characters in with Batwing, uh, but it seems like Batwing is such a team member instead of. I mean, it should sort of be like this world's finest plus Batwing because it seems like he's really teaming up with any sort of person and a, and a kitchen sink as well. Um, I liked how he was introducing the different members as they were fighting. And it was also great to see that each member of the team was sort of enhancing or really matched well with a member of the opposition. Uh, And they kind of did that in Birds of Prey, too, when we saw the birds fighting that other team. I think that they were just uh, paired up really well. Uh, It doesn't really work exactly that way. Wait, what? I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) Um, You know, but... There was no lead-in for me. It just seems like they sort of popped up on the scene and were not really given enough time to acclimate to their arrival before it's sort of all over. It just seemed... And I did read the previous issue, but it just seemed like there wasn't too much of a lead-up. I thought it was strange that Batwing would rely on Justice League rather than other members of the Batman Inc. Uh, family, especially since there are members that we haven't seen left, like little like Joe Jinx uh, characters there, Knight and Squire. I was surprised to see Batwing stay to the mission so easily rather than going to save Matu. But, you know, hey, Matu can handle himself, and I'm glad that even injured he fights. That was a great scene, him in his hospital bed. And talk about connection to the land, something taken very literal here. I thought it was a really creative touch. Uh, Lord Battle not only nourishes the land and his team, but they in turn nourish him, and that was that was something that I was not expecting. I liked the scene between Matu and David at the end and thought it was really touching. And, you know, an intriguing end, to be sure. It's almost as if King Shadow had a hand in everything that has happened up to now and Batwing's greatest fight remains, because he really makes it seem as if he were pulling all the strings. 
Uh, overall, I thought that this issue went really quickly. It seems like we just met War Battle, then Bloodstorm pops on the scene, and then the JLI appear, a fight, and then it's all over. Uh, so it's just like bam, 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 and, and not too much of a lead-up or kind of... There's no like calm to the storm. It just is like from start to finish really quick. So not the strongest of issues, but I'm glad that hopefully fans of JLI got to see them one last time before it's all over. Or I guess it's not the last time, but at least to see them again. Three out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Batwing number 12 a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics number 12. Okay, Detective Comics number 12, written and penciled by Tony Daniel for the final time. (laughs) Now I think we should all have a moment of silence just to let that truly sink in. And that's probably enough. So, uh, this issue begins where the last one ended, with Batman drowning in chemicals. Batman realises that the organism absorbs chemicals, so he explodes a gas canister so that the organism would absorb the flames and destroy itself. At Dunhill Laboratories, Professor Manhart is talking to an inspector before the wall explodes and Mr. Toxic, alongside the Humada from the last issue, appear. Mr. Toxic demands that Professor Manhart repair him with the particle accelerator, despite the risk to thousands of lives. Meanwhile, at the Batcave, Alfred has repaired Professor Smart's hologram, hologram pen, which explains who Humada became, how Humada became Mr. Toxic after entering a Hadron Collider in an attempt to cure his own genetic disease. Back at Dunhill Laboratories, it is revealed that the Humada accompanying Mr. Toxic is the real Humada, and the two force Professor Manhart to go through the procedure. But made aware of the power surge at the laboratory, Batman is on his way. However, Batman is too late as Professor Manhart turns on the machine just as Batman crashes through the window. The two Marders begin to fuse and the same chemical reaction from the beginning of the issue occurs, but Batman stops it by superheating the sponge-like organism and drying it out. The story ends with Batman saving both Professor Smart and Hugh Marder. In the backup, Bullock is talking to a new police officer, Nancy, who is being left on the graveyard shift to watch the Joker's face. After a while, and after Nancy has fallen asleep, she hears her laughing. She discovers a speaker attached to the skin, which Bullock put there. Nancy promptly punches Bullock in the face, and and he welcomes her to the force. However, the real Joker is outside and watching over the GCPD HQ, and we can expect to see him in Batman number 14. Alright, Detective Comics number 12. Well, Tony Daniel really didn't go out with a bang because this was just as bad as (laughs) previous issues. The let's see, we have a ton more of the the scientific sci-fi stuff that we had in the last issue, which, as I said last time, I wasn't really a big fan of. Um, there really wasn't a whole lot of like, oh, this is a huge twist. I really didn't like the ending whatsoever. It really felt like he had to wrap that ending up. Which, trust me when I say, I'm not opposed to the fact that he wrapped that ending up because or wrapped the story up because I don't really want it to continue any longer than it did. But it really felt as if that last specific issue, or that last page, just seemed like so, again, anticlimactic, where it was, hey, guess what, I saved you, and hopefully, you know, Batman says at the very end, 
I hope I don't do something that I'm going to regret. I saved your life. And it's quite honestly, that was a horrible line to end the comic with. The only saving grace for this, uh, for this specific comic was the fact that the only specific saving grace was the backup. I really, really liked the backup. Um, this was written by James Tinian the fourth, who's going to be writing Talon as well as, uh, the backups in Batman, um, going forward, but I really have to say that this was a really interesting backup, and even though it was very simple, and it really didn't, you know, expose a ton of stuff, the interesting thing about it is the fact that this is what backup should be. It shouldn't be this ridiculously giant ongoing backup that just keeps going and going and going and going. It's it's cool when you have a story that has the it's cool when you see a, you have a story that has, um, like a series, I should say. It's cool when you have a series that has a long-lasting story arc, and the backup is not a long-lasting story arc. It's just a one-off story that happens in the back of the book. Um, this was this story extremely highlighted the fact that Seismic Kodransky is a great artist. Um, the fact that it was a simple story didn't need to have a ton of ton of dialogue. It had enough dialogue to get across the point. There was plenty of pages where Seisman Kodransky could do his thing, which is tell a story without having to have dialogue. There was plenty of pages with that. And uh, I thought I thought it was absolutely great. I mean, it, it's definitely a, a nice lead into the death of a family story arc that's coming up or, and crossover that's going to be happening in a lot of the books. But it, th- this was really what we need to have backups be. I mean, and Seisman Kodransky did a great job. Tinian did a great job. I just unfortunately can't give this book a really great rating based off of nothing but the backup. So ultimately, I'm going to give this uh, three out of five batterings. But trust me when I say if uh, this backup wasn't here, I'd be giving this one out of five batterings. Um, I actually didn't. I didn't dislike it as much as Dustin did. I didn't think it was that great. It was like you know, an average Tony Daniel book. That's um, because you knew this was his last story. No. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I also didn't put too much thought into it. Um, no, really. I mean, like, I mean, I didn't. I really didn't like like this story, but I didn't hate it. You know, uh, I thought the art was decent. Um, part of me likes the random supervillain aspect of it, but at the same time, it's hard for me. It's hard for my suspension of disbelief to be suspended as long when like these goofy guys don't really have a motif they just have motivations and they just like this guy looks like Magneto to me like he, he just like why the red thing in the cape and like the armbands like like I, I kind of want to understand a villain's motivation and they can't be so distinct that I question everything everything that's in their appearance you know it's kind of just random the storytelling to me felt very um Kind of like 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 not really thought out, thought out very thought out. Uh, damn, how do I say this? Uh, it, it seemed to me that Tony Daniel was going for the uh, the superhero po- superheroic poses and not really thinking how to tell a story in his artwork. For example, on the title page, uh, there's a two page splash of Batman. Just I don't even know what he's, doing. he's what, is, what is he doing? Is he just screaming? Like, is he doing anything besides yelling? Um. I, I don't think he is, and like it's just a picture of him doing that. Like it's not shocking. It's something we haven't seen before. It's just an image of Batman. Later on, we have um, a two-page splash of Batman crashing th- through the glass, 
it feels a little needless to me. Like, if I were if I were drawing this book, again, I'm not, but like you know, if I were do if I were at least writing this, a place where a, a big you know a splash page or a bigger image would be warranted is either when the guy's face is revealed, you know, when he takes up the helmet. Or when um, the the gigantic like gas uh, science chemical abomination thing is revealed, not when Batman is just standing around yelling, "Oh!" <laughs> it's just that's not that's not cool or important. It's it's not. It feels like Tony Dale is trying to make the book cooler than it really can be, and that was the problem I've always had with this this book. It's just it feels very superficial. I did like the backup. Um, when reading it through the first time, I thought that like like this is the sickest effing thing I've ever heard in my life with the Joker. So I'm glad it turned out to be just a story because I was like, "Come on, like, this is this is supposed to be a DC comic book, right?" But like at the same time, I mean, I guess it is kind of in Bullock's character to kind of mess with the cop that way. That was pretty cool. I mean, the the, the lady hits him so hard that he starts to bleed, which is another thing. But um, it does it is an interesting lead into the, the upcoming Joker storyline, so that was fun. Overall, I'll give this three out of five batarangs. So long, Tony Daniel. Yes. No love lost there. I also don't think I hated it as much as Dustin, but I think more so because I felt that Tony Daniel, whether it was because of his last issue or because he had a break for a couple of issues, really put everything into the art, and I thought that the art was really great in this issue. I mean, I was looking, flicking through Batman R.I.P. the other day, and his style's changed a lot since then, and... I used to really like it back then, and it's it kind of lost something. It became a bit more scratchy and sketchy, I but I think I think in here it's at least in some panels it's it's really gone back to what it used to be. And I think because he put the time in, and he didn't. I was about to say he didn't worry about writing it, but uh, yeah, I guess you could still say that. The the story was I didn't mind. It was very um, kind of comic booky, and I didn't mind it. There's so many things that you know they just kind of don't mean anything in Batman comics. Just because like you just go through the arcs, you just kind of like, and then you get the old story which actually means something. But I had fun reading this at some points, and but I, I think it really was down to the art more. So I don't think that it was overdone. A lot of the times uh, in Tony Daniels' one, we've had the kind of. Batman making quips and stuff and just saying cool <laughs> cool stuff or trying to be cool stuff and then not really doing anything but I I feel that Tony Dallas moved away from that and I also feel that he's not putting as much down as in words but maybe that's not a good thing maybe it's just because it's becoming more decompressed but I'm definitely looking forward to uh, John Lehman is that the yeah, yeah John Lehman yeah I thought it, I was I wasn't sure if it was John or not, but I'm definitely looking forward to him taking another book. I think that's going to be extremely fun. And sure, this wasn't like a fantastic end to. I mean, he's been on the book for quite a while. It wasn't a fantastic end, but I, it wasn't a terrible one. It was definitely better than his end to Batman before the New Fifty Two. I feel anyway. And um, as for the backup, I kind of knew I wasn't reading Tony Daniel before he got to the credits. But at the same time, like, I'm not sure if I like that style of the whole, like, Joker carving a bone, carving a whistle out of the bonus on his fingers and stuff. It's, it's very kind of horror writing, and I do like horror stuff, but it's kind of, you can kind of feel the novelist aspect coming into it, I, I think, and it's not as, that's when you kind of start to get very wordy in those 
I mean, half the panel is speech bubbles in that, and it was interesting. It, well, it definitely wasn't badly written. It's just I think not a style that I like as much. But the actual story in it was pretty funny. Just Bullock, you know, teasing the rookie, and it definitely kind of brings the Joker's face back to the attention of the uh, of the reader. But I'm definitely interested in seeing where this Joker story goes and what is happening with the face because if he just puts it on again then it's going to be a bit anticlimactic or definitely not going to go the way that I thought or hoped it would but he wears a Cesar Romero mask <laughs> with a mustache awesome. and everything <laughs> yeah, exactly but um no I, I the backup was definitely better than the main story and the art was fantastic once again so I'll give this issue three and a half out of five batterings for me um, the art was never the issue. Uh, y- y- it was just the writing that didn't really seem to go along with, you know, sort of the the standard art. And and I think that he does have a nice style. There are certainly artists that I like less than him, and there are artists that I like more than him. But I mean, I enjoy this issue. And and Don, I had to go. I had to go back and, and see that double page splash where yeah he is the, you know the toxin is exploding over him and he's kind of floating backwards and saying yar hmm. um, and you know yeah w- why did he need a double page for that and you know sometimes it is the way it is and you also wonder did he need like a page filler like was he running out of script and he, he kind of needed uh, something else and you never really know about that um, <clears throat> I-, I thought that in this first scene in particular, things seem to happen a little too easily. You know, it's almost as if we're missing a page between Batman on fire and Batman calmly speaking to Alfred about an organism soaking up the chemical. I mean, we leave the last issue with this thing spreading out of control. It seems really intense, and then all of a sudden it's gone, and he's like... Oh, it was like it's anything that could happen any day of the week, and I just thought, well, this seems a little—I don't know—I I just felt like there was something in between that probably should have happened, like him thinking about it, or at least showing us what he was doing. Who knows? See, th- there was a page that we could have had and and taken away half of the splash. I do at least like that this chemical reaction makes its way back in the end and Batman's able to effectively deal with it after his experience in the cave, so it wasn't all for naught. I'm afraid that this story is starting to get a little bit more like the first arc of uh, The Flash. I don't know if any of you have read that from, you know, the New 52. You know, there are clones running around everywhere and they're trying to heal themselves almost trying to sort of uh, create like the 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 perfect you know the perfect clone and then they'll use other ones to heal and kind of get where they need to be I, and it's just like well i read this in the flash and so i'm confused why i'm reading this again here in detective comics I'm a little confused as to what is going on with all of this, and making it worse is the fact that you really don't know which martyr is actually good, and the ending doesn't really seem like an ending, and I don't know how it can possibly continue, so I'm just like this big question mark. I, I don't know what's going on. Um, th- just like Dustin, the backup was really the saving grace, I think, for this entire issue. It was really well done for once, and I think this was this is the comic that had Two-Face, right? So we have been going off of this Two-Face one, which really did not make sense at all. And then we have this. And not only is it, you know, a macabre story, which is really fitting of the Joker, but it certainly paints Bullock as, as the jerk he really is. 
uh, I think it sets up Joker's return well and without going overboard. And, you know, finally we do get to connect back to the face. So I think that was probably the best uh, part of this entire issue. 2.5 out of 5 batterings. All right, so Detective Comics number 12 gets a total of 3 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batgirl number 12. Oh, yes. Well, we'll get in touch with you, Batgirl, in case we find some more clothes. Where can I get in touch with you, Batman? Yes, that has been a problem, but we'll manage. We have before. Oh, no, is really... Let's see here. <clears throat> Batgirl number 12, Every Time I Fail. Writer Gail Simone, Pensor Ardian Siaf, Inker Vicente Sefuentes, and Colors Ulysses Areola. At the start of the issue, Batgirl is still at Detective McKenna's apartment, and she continues to ask how McKenna is involved with Nightfall. McKenna explains that she was in a bad way for several months, and no one could help her until Cherise showed up on her doorstep. Before she can continue, Batwoman shows up unexpectedly, kicks down the window, and goes for McKenna. McKenna stupidly shoots a gun at her, but Batwoman takes her out. Then Batgirl tries to calm Batwoman down, but it ends up in a not-so-friendly spar with Batwoman having the upper hand and Batgirl calling uncle. Batwoman offers Batgirl a silk handkerchief and explains that McKenna has caught the attention of the DEO, but Batgirl explains that uh, McKenna is needed for the mission ahead. As McKenna briefly explains about the danger of Nightfall, speak of the devil and she shall appear. Nightfall calls McKenna, tells her they have Ricky, if you remember he was the car thief from three issues ago, and Batgirl needs to come alone to the three towers or else he dies. Elsewhere, Jim Gordon, giggity giggity, is called in the... Is called in the middle of the night and tells him that in the chaos of the Arkham, uh, okay, is called in the middle of the night and he is told that in the chaos of the Arkham Asylum breakout, James Jr. escaped. At the Three Towers, Batgirl appears and Bonebreaker tries to explain Nightfall's vision for the city before a fight breaks out. Batgirl narrates the backstories of each of the members, which she learned from McKenna. During the fight, we see Charisse in her nightfall uniform watching the fight on a monitor and talking to none other than James Jr. James apparently kept Charisse alive in Arkham and has been counseling her on Batgirl. Charisse explains that her vision is for a golden city first bathed in crimson, and James is okay with that. While she is faring rather well in the fight, um, Batwoman and McKenna arrive and Batgirl runs off into the building in order to get her part of the mission done. She finds a bandaged Ricky and another man chained up and in the cage that Charisse has. Batgirl talks to Ricky and tries to get him out, not paying attention until it's too late. Nightfall stabs Batgirl uh, from behind and explains that in order to save a city, one must kill a Batgirl. First... First up, Batgirl number zero, Batgirl's origin revealed, and then in two months, Nightfall triumphant. All right, Batgirl number 12. Um, I, I want to first start off by th- saying I have a very hard time believing that regardless of whether or not Barbara Gordon has been Oracle in the past because that hasn't been addressed, I have a very hard time believing that Batgirl has never met Batwoman. Batwoman has not been on the scene that long within the Batman books, but I cannot believe that if they work in the same city, that they have never met each other. That's just too unbelievable for me, number one. Number two, the fact that she is unaware that Batwoman is a good fighter 
because she's using some random profile that she has. Where did she get the profile? And if she didn't get it, it, like, it just doesn't make any sense. She has a profile on Batwoman saying that she's not a very good fighter. But <laughs> then she says that her profile needs to be updated. Where did she get the profile from? Did she get it from Batman? Because if she never met Batwoman, how would she have even known that Batwoman was not a good fighter or she was a good fighter? It just doesn't make any sense. And that and that's my main problem with this. I just that it was too hard to believe. Um the entire Nightfall character, eh I'm still whatever. I mean, I I think it's interesting that, you know, she does have a link to James Gordon Jr. Um, It makes James Gordon Jr. appearing in the series more relevant, and it also makes more sense of why they're suddenly starting to reveal a little bit more of why he's been popping up in the book. Um, But I also still have to wonder, how does James Gordon Jr. know that Barbara is Batgirl? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because if he knows that, how does he know, but his father doesn't know, and if he knows that Barbara Gordon is Batgirl, how has he not, I mean, he knows that Dick Grayson, who Dick Grayson is, don't get me wrong, I'm sure the guy is pretty smart, but it just, it's very hard to believe that he somehow has figured out that his sister is parading around the city as Batgirl, and is now, out of all this time, even though she was unable to walk, has now decided he's going to try to kill her by using this person that he befriended while he was incarcerated in Arkham Asylum. I don't know, it's just, there's a problem with that. Um, I thought the art was okay, um, just generic, nothing really special, nothing really bad though, um, but it was just it was just generic art for what we come have come to expect from um, a lot of these artists that have been filling in on Batgirl. Um, as far as anything else with the story i mean there's there's not a whole lot else to talk about batwoman appearing in the book really didn't send chills down my spine because like i said i was trying to figure out how in the world that they've the two of them have never met before um i find it just extremely hard to believe that the two of them have never met um, i'm just going to give this two and a half out of five batterings i'm trying to gather my thoughts and figure out how i'm going to exactly explain myself here uh the problem, the main problem, I have, I have nothing to say about the story. The main problem I have with this book, and yeah, this book as a whole, like, uh, the whole year we've been reading Batgirl, is that Gail Simone could not keep her trap shut about how great it was that Barbara was Batgirl again because we got to see her be smart and awesome and like everything that she's, yeah, she can be as Batgirl. And yet, time after time again, all the book is, is basically Barbara getting her ass kicked over and over and over again. And she never... And it's not like Batgirl is supposed to be like like a super strong fighter. But, like, I think the way Gail Simone is trying to approach this is that... It's almost like Ultimate Spider-Man where... I don't, I don't really mean to do this, but like... Like, there is sort of like the idea that, you know, if you see a character struggle... Then that automatically engages you in that character's that character's uh, uh, adventures and exploits, but there's between struggling and just you know just having them not win. I mean, I, I dropped off of Spider-Man for a while because it was story after story of Peter Parker getting beat up and unmasked by people, and that's essentially what's happening here. Like Barbara goes up against every character in every storyline, and they just beat her senseless, you know. And yeah, she she does eventually win, 
But, like, this is a theme that, like, completely contradicts the point of making Barbara Gordon Batgirl anyway. I mean, how many times are we told by the writer and by, like, the narration that Barbara's, like, this awesome crime fighter? And, like, every time she meets a new challenge, it just shows that she's not. She really isn't. Like, she couldn't figure out that people who were working security were actually supervillains, even though they looked freaky in the first place. Um, she, she gets the dropped on by, by all these different characters. And it really does... Alright, so you're going to really hit me right now. <laughs> but, like, all, a lot of this, this talk about Batgirl, or at least Barbara Gordon Batgirl, is really, really souring me on the character. Because, and it's not, it's, it is kind of in comparison towards Oracle and Stephanie and Cassandra, but, like, it's, it's, not, it's not good when you t- say talk about a character and then just like, show the opposite, is what I'm saying. It's, it's just not, it doesn't lead to a very enjoyable uh, reading experience. And because of that, like, Barbara's probably one of my least favorite Batgirls, at least right now. I mean, I always liked the character of Barbara Gordon, but right now, this is what we're being sold, and it's just not fun to read. Um, I like the art, actually, although there's one instance where Gordon is answering his phone uh, shirtless at, at home in bed, and he looks like he's Batman, because he, he has muscles everywhere. And I'm, I'm sure James Gordon isn't completely out of shape. Um, I know that they, you know, they've de-aged him, which I hope we'll talk about later on. But, like... I, don't, I just don't buy the fact that this guy has enough time to, to make himself look that good, considering how stressful he is. It's just, it just contradicts my image of the character. Maybe it doesn't for some other people. Um, the James Jr. thing, I, I agree. Like, 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 where the hell did he find out that Batgirl was Barbara? I mean, it's not that hard to figure out, but, like, suddenly he has this Machiavellian plan with other supervillains about this. Like, it just strikes me as too convenient for the story. And at the end, when Barbara's, like, stabbed... When the guy says, look out, look out! She's like, what? She doesn't instinctively turn around. She's like, what? And, like, like, like I, I, didn't, I didn't care that she was stabbed. I was like, you know what? You honestly deserve that. If you're, you, Your first instinct isn't to turn around or dodge. It's, it's, just, it's like, wait, what did you say? Look out? So, uh, I don't know. It's just... Was it the worst thing ever? No. But was it a good book? No. Two out of five batterings. I totally get what Dan, where Don's coming from, and I think I've already said this... Uh, in one of the issues with Grotesque I think it was the first one in that I am not that keen on the character and I th- I hope it's just the way that Gail Simone is writing her because I have read other Barbara Gordon stories now and I know that she can be written very well and it's upsetting that she's not being treated right And um, but I totally get what Don means I mean I, was, I saw Batwoman burst through the window and first of all I liked that they tried to incorporate the Batwoman style artwork with the layouts yeah. on that page I thought that was pretty cool and I actually right. thought that a lot of the layouts throughout the book were pretty interesting but especially that page but I saw that and I was kind of thinking I was hoping that Gail Simone wasn't going to kind of pull a oh no I'm the only one who can write a female character and have Batgirl beat up Batwoman and then when that didn't happen and Batwoman beat the crap out of Batgirl I, I kind of sat there, clapped my hands a bit, and was like, go Batwoman. <laughs> wow. um, I probably shouldn't be doing that, and I know Stella's probably going to make some inappropriate comment about me liking torture porn or something horrendous like that, which isn't the case, again, which I shouldn't have to justify, but I feel like I do. And, but, I, I know what you mean, it's just like, you kind of go through this and she keeps getting beaten up, and it's like, you know what, at this point, what are you even doing? Why don't you just go home? And, yeah, and just 
go home to Alicia, make sure she doesn't go out with your brother, and and that's the other, I mean, with James Gordon Jr. in the book, last time he was so independent and he was so cunning in, in what he did, everything was planned out, and this, having him kind of work with another person, I know it was implied that he kind of helped her more than anything else, but it still has a kind of henchman-y kind of feel to it, which I don't enjoy, and the whole book's just kind of everyone feels a bit off but again it wasn't an awful issue it, was, it still kept me entertained and I liked I, I, I did like Batwoman in the book I thought she was doing fairly well and having the DEO although I don't necessarily buy it because I know that whilst Batwoman works for the DCO I don't think she, she enjoys it at all and I think it's more out of she's more being forced into it because you know all the threats made about her father and stuff so I don't think she'd instantly bring the DEO into every matter but at the same time it's still pretty interesting to see that and I I like their interaction and everything but again as Dustin was bringing up many points about how odd that it was that first meeting but still an, an okay issue just definitely not enjoyable so I'll give it 2 out of 5 batterings um, I think the quote that I could probably pull from from Dustin's review is that, you know, it doesn't make sense. And and this is obviously in context, but there were so many things that did not make sense to me. Um, I guess I oh, there's so much I need to say about this, but I, I can't take, like, 15 minutes on this. You know, my frustration with this is that it is not written well. And people may be... I mean, on my own show, people think that I'm, like, too harsh on this particular book and Gil Simone. And, you know, even if this were another character, I would still say that it's not written well. And even if I pretend really hard that this is a Babs Gordon from another universe and, like, just accept that, it's still not written well. And I don't know. There's, like, no way around that. I don't, like... I have such a love of Babs Gordon that it's it's starting to fade right now because of this book. And that has only happened once before, and that was because of Spider-Man. And this is what happens when terrible writing and terrible stories start bringing down a character, and it's really heartbreaking. And so now all I can really do is go back to the vintage stuff, and that's really where the heart of the character is, because this isn't Babs Gordon. And fine, Flashpoint made it a different character. Whatever. Fine. This is Babs Gordon of the New 52. Okay, but do I care about that character? No, because she doesn't know what's going on. Just as Don said, she gets flipping beat around every single issue, and then all of a sudden she can take on three different people and bring them down. How does that make sense? Uh, I don't know, Batwoman comes in, and not only how did she get that information, but why are they fighting to begin with? Um, Batman knows of Batwoman, and he most assuredly knows of Batgirl, so shouldn't those two probably... I mean, if A equals B and B equals C, then obviously A has to equal C. So why doesn't Batgirl understand that Batwoman's on the same team? And then she turns around and cries, uncle? These are the things that Simone puts in, like, these these little things that are supposed to be cute. And it's not working. Stephanie Brown, the thing she said when she would, like, spit out something out loud and did, totally did not mean to do that, those were 
I mean, those were cute, and I really liked them. I laughed at them. This stuff, crying uncle in a serious battle, talking about a silk handkerchief, why Batwoman even had it? Like, that brought down some respect for that character, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, what? I, I don't really understand that. Th- um, Charisse and James Jr., this is like Bane and Talia all of a sudden from The Dark Knight Rises, where apparently James Jr. protected Charisse in Arkham Asylum, and she wonders why, which is a li- like a, that's a really good question to ask. Why did you protect me? And he said, because I appreciate your vision for the city. So you're telling me that when she first potentially committed these murders, which I can't remember, she was 12 or 16. I know there's a gap, but she was young. And she was in Arkham Asylum. She already had this plan all figured out, and she told James. And James decided that I'm going to protect this girl because of that. No. There's no way she had this whole diabolical plan turn out. Oh, but wait. But wait. Here's the better thing. Okay, she was in jail when she was how old? I, I forgot. Was it 12 or 16? It was a, it was a young it was age. Like, I think it was 16. Okay. And they've already stated that she's 18 years old. So that's yeah, two that was, years. She was so you're telling me that James Gordon Jr. has been in jail for two years when this was all happening? Oh, my God. <laughs> Editor! Bobby Chase, where are you? Yeah, I don't... And the whole, like, revolving door thing, like, we get this speech again that, you know, they want to stop this revolving door of of people coming out and going back in, and that's a legitimate argument because, yes, that happens. People complain to Batman all the time about that. But, hello, James Jr. is a convict, and she's allowing him to walk around? Hello, hypocrite. I, I don't really understand that. I guess you owe him a debt of gratitude. I don't really know. I- I'm I'm annoyed with finding things out in narrator boxes as if we knew it all along. Ricky is all of a sudden Mexican and 16. The fact that he's 16 is repeated multiple times. Uh, we learn that apparently McKenna's a dirty cop, and we still don't know why. It We were told that she had a relationship with Nightfall two issues ago, I'm pretty sure. And even this issue, we still don't know what that relationship is because Batwoman bursts in the scene. How she's a dirty cop, why the DEO is after her, because because they deal with like supernatural elements and like what like I don't I just don't understand um and then to be honest like Donovan kind of stole my thunder because I think it would have it would have meant more coming for me and I I totally had it written down but the fact that if Batgirl's going to be dumb and, like, talk to Ricky, you know, with his leg cut up and bandage on his face, and apparently not wear body armor that can stop a blade, because that's kind of standard. She even talks about her body armor when she's fighting Batwoman, but this apparently doesn't stop a blade. I, may, maybe she does deserve to die, because she certainly is not pulling her weight as a hero. And again, this is, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Why does this character exist? It was so big to pull back Barbara Gordon, and this is what you gave us. I, I just have, like, I'm losing respect for the character, and for me, that is like, that is, I don't know. It's like a string of curse words coming out of my mouth. I feel like washing my mouth because I'm saying that. But it's it's just not, I don't uh, I'm, I'm done, I guess. Um, I, I don't know if I can give it. I mean, there are some, like, plus points, but uh, I guess a two, two out of five batterings for me. Listening to you, Stella, makes me sad. Yeah. That's, I mean, I feel, when I read it, it's, like, painful. And, and I wish it weren't like that. But here's the reality. The reality is that Batgirl is now becoming the new Detective Comics. You know, a lot of us didn't like Detective Comics. 
But the reality is that Batgirl still sells pretty well, so the question is why? Bat fans who are out there, I want to know why. Why is it that Batgirl is selling so well? Is it because it's just the fact that Barbara Gordon is in the call again, or is it that there are people actually out there who are really enjoying it? I think because it's because of, uh, I don't mean to but I think it's because Gail Simone's name kind of attracts an audience. I really, I really do think that, that that's what it is. If that's the case, I want to know that. So what I want to know is, Bat fans, I want you to email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net or leave us a message on our Facebook page letting us know why people like Batgirl and why Batgirl is doing so well in sales. Because quite honestly, we're not getting it and you know we are a minority when it comes to the overall everything because clearly we don't always get understand and agree with everything that's happening with the the common the mainstream because detective comics was doing so well for so long and that was another one that nobody really i still to this day cannot understand why it was doing as well as it was besides the fact that it was just batman but i want to know why why is batgirl doing so well i have my guesses we all have our guesses, but I want to know why it's doing so well, and I want to know. I want to find out if there's people out there who are listening to this podcast who actually know or are actually enjoying it and can explain why they are enjoying it in a comprehensible sense, and not just, well, it's Gail Simone and she's doing a great job, and that's it. I want you to be able to defend what's happening in this book and tell me about it because that—that's the thing. I just don't see that. I don't see that happening right now. And I don't. I haven't come across anybody yet so far that has been able to do that. Um, I did have somebody comment on our Facebook page a couple. I want to say it was like a month or two ago that said they agreed completely with what we were saying about Batgirl, and they don't like what's going on with Batgirl either. But I want to know if there's someone out there who is liking Batgirl, and if we are basically berating what you believe is is really good, and we want to know why. So email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. So that's going to give Batgirl number 12 a total of 2 out of 5 batterings. That's going to bring us into our next book, Batman and Robin number 12. Hey, got the Black Knight started. Sounds great, thanks. You want to grab a Harley and we'll go for a ride? Look... I appreciate the gig, all right, but uh, we're not going to be buddies. You don't even know me. I know you're in a lot of pain because of your family. I know you feel responsible. I don't know you, but I'm like you. I don't think so. Have you given much thought to your future? The Wayne Foundation has an excellent scholarship Look, fund. Look, he is my future, all right? family twist into hatred of Two-Face. That's too easy. Look, no offense, but uh, I don't think you've got a lot to teach me. Don't be too sure. Oh, that's me! Okay. Okay. Uh, okay, we're talking about Batman and Robin now. Batman and Robin issue 12, Terminus Wants You, or Terminus's Last Gas. Written by Peter J. Tomasi, illustrated by Patrick Gleason. My name is Terminus, Batman, and today we reach our final destination together, says this guy, Terminus. Uh, 
the situation is that the dynamic duo are uh, under assault by Terminus and his many henchmen after the damage they've made over Gotham City in the last issue. Uh, but the Cape Crusaders are defiant and still determined to take him down. A lot of damage is being done over the city. Um, Terminus is blaming uh, Batman's activities on leaving a scar in Gotham and says that's what really is the deal. Uh, but Batman really doesn't care. He says, well, once you've seen one lunatic, you've seen them all. Uh, at one point, he jumps into the Batmobile and comes out in some sort of, like, crazy <laughs> uh, armor that I didn't know he had and uh, takes on Terminus and his armored body. Um, one of the guys, I don't know, I, don't, I forgot the guy's name, but one of the guys attacks Damien, but Damien is saved by the former Robins, Dick Grayson, Tim Drake, and even Jason Todd. So uh, it's basically Batman and the Robins uh, versus Terminus and his gangs, and uh, he's eventually defeated. Um, but at one, at one point, Terminus says, well, this is my last uh, gambit. I'm going to uh, conveniently push this button, and look, there's a missile heading right for Gotham City. Um, so Batman calls an Iron Man and flies towards the... Uh, no, actually, he doesn't. But he does fly towards the missile on his uh, bat armor and says, there's no time to defuse it. I'm going to override its guidance and put it into the water, Captain America style, uh, and gets off just before he's destroyed in the blast. So Terminus dies, Day is saved, Dick Grayson throws uh, Damien one of his Scream of Six, saying, you don't need to try so hard, Damien. As you can see, you're already Robin. And uh, uh, the last image we see is Gordon looking upon Batman flying through the gliding power of his cape back towards the sunlight. Next issue, Robin's journey from zero to hero. Hercules. Batman and Robin, number 12. I want to start off by saying... Uh, something that we've brought up now, I believe, twice in this in this podcast, and we've been comparing books to The Dark Knight Rises, and uh, I don't know if... Uh, here's the thing. I doubt that every single one of these comic creators knew what was going to happen in The Dark Knight Rises. That being said, we also know that books have to be written way in advance, and we also have to know that books have a deadline and they need to get everything done, and for the most part, I've kind of determined based on tweets... Um, from some of the creators that you basically have to turn your book in a month ahead of time at this point just to make sure that it's on time. If it gets down to the wire, then that's when they bring in the fill-in artists and things like that. And that's why we've had books where there's multiple artists, including the normal artist, but there's pages that are fill-in. So because of that, we know that there's, there's a specific time frame that the books have to be turned in on. I doubt that any of these creators saw this movie any earlier than anybody else. They may have seen it, you know, at a premiere the Thursday before or, you know, a sneak peek the Wednesday before or something like that, but they all saw the movie the same week same week that we all did. So, I want to say that before I say what I'm about to say. <laughs> Batman and Robin number 12, as I stated in the last episode, or the last time we reviewed, when we reviewed Batman and Robin number 11, this story is too epic. And when I say that, what I mean is the the events that are happening, it just is, it's too epic, meaning what is occurring is too, on, is, is on such a large scale that it is too difficult to believe that it is something worthwhile happening and is not just a fill-in story if it's happening in three issues. Don't get me wrong. I like this. I like this issue. I just I want to say this thought that came across my mind as I was reading this issue. As soon as 
the the that they as soon as Terminus announces that he has a uh, warhead that is popping that is going to be blasting off out of King County and is going to be raining down something to kill everyone in Gotham City and Batman says I'm going to stop it and then we have that freeze frame of all the Robins staring up at Batman mm-hmm. as he's trying to stop the warhead from going off and he then says okay well I'm just going to change his position to have it crash into the harbor and it crashes into the harbor and right before Batman is standing there bursting out of his suit coming down towards the earth and Robin has this look of terror on his face like and he says get off the rocket get off the rocket my immediate thought was holy crap this happened in Dark Knight Rises and the Avengers that's a Marvel book. I don't like talking about Marvel. All right, <laughs> but, but both both instances, yes, I agree. Yes, it happened in the Dark Knight Rises, and I just thought to myself, "Are you serious?" <laughs> Not only last issue, we have the the skyscrapers of Gotham City having these giant bats burned into the sides of the buildings, mm-hmm. but this issue we have. And, I, and I'm sorry, I I just have two, and I I said this a lot in the last. The last when we reviewed the last issue, and I and I and I don't want to spend too much time saying this, but I'm sorry. Something has to be done about the repercussions of what is occurring in these books. You cannot tell me that unless it is a one-off story that does not follow continuity, that it is okay for major buildings and a major chunk of the population to be harmed or to be damaged in a story arc. There's no, like, what, okay, so you could blow up Gotham City in one issue, and the next issue it's okay because, well, Wayne Enterprise has paid for it all to get rebuilt. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just, I want to, and of course I'm going to come across as the person of, oh, I want everything to be realistic like Chris Nolan. No, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is <laughs> it's too unbelievable to have things like this happen on such a grand scale and there not to be some kind of repercussions. Don't get me wrong. I like the the idea of these people who were harmed by Batman coming back to do something bad against Batman. That's great. This probably could have actually been worked into some giant actual story arc slash crossover for the Bat books if they really wanted to. But it just it wasn't, and the scale was too grand. Um, I'm sorry, I have a hard time believing that a missile that is carrying some kind of toxic chemicals that's going to rain down and not only that but also the story that involves every single former Robin including the current Robin is not addressed in any other title in this day and age where we have so many different things crossing over between the things in the DC universe you have a story that there is such big events happening in this title it will never be addressed I guarantee you we will never see any of the things that have happened in this three issue story arc in Batman Robin be addressed in any of the other titles because this was basically a one-off story that brought all the Robins together, mm-hmm. gave us a great couple pages of art with you know shots of all the Robins working together, fighting together, you know the 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 catchy dialogue between them. I liked it, I really did. But this did not this as far as falling into the the continuity of everything. I have to say, piss poor timing on editorial part, um, just piss poor. Um, but let me get to the actual issue. The actual issue I enjoyed, and I, I know it sounds crazy, but I like the issue. 
I did think to myself automatically when that missile thing was happening was the ending of The Dark Knight Rises. But at the same time, you know what? I I believe to myself as I was thinking that, that Peter Tomasi probably had the story written a long time ago, so it really didn't matter. And I'm sure, even if he didn't, there's no way that he saw the movie um, less than three weeks ago, and now, less than three weeks later, the book is here and we're reading it, and it's just, it's not possible. So I, I, I know that didn't happen. It's just, there's, it's just too coincidental, and honestly, it just, if editorial read what was going on and saw how epic this was, they should have just said, you know what, maybe we should curb this, and if you want to do a story that involves the Robins, great, but we don't need to put it on such a grand scale where Gotham is being destroyed and the population is being you know, the population is being harmed and all of this. They just really needed to make the story with all the Robins something that just involved all the Robins, utilizing the skills of all the Robins, and it would have worked a, little, a lot better in my opinion. Um, I'm going to give the issue a total of three and a half out of five batterings. I enjoyed the art and I enjoyed the story. It's just the story arc as a whole, poor timing and way too epic. Yeah. I remember when I was, uh, I was not on the last episode, um, for reasons, but, uh, I was listening to, uh, in my car when Joe and, uh, Dustin were going over this and Dustin said that like, uh, cause I did read the, the last issue and said like, you know, the, the quote unquote epicness, uh, or the phrases in the way, basically like, like, like the stakes, were like like kind of so high that you really couldn't resolve it in an understandable fashion in the three three issue story arc, and I totally agree. And I, and I was like listening to them in my car. I was like, yeah, yeah, I agree. And then I crashed my car. Um, oh my gosh! <laughs> no, I didn't. But uh, like like I don't understand what you're saying because if you think about it, and I'm not gonna play I'm not gonna play continuity hound, but like just for comparison to illustrate my point, uh, think about back when um. Uh, uh, you know, contagion happened, and there was a plague. Uh, you know, uh, and there was a sickness, and Batman, you know, had to figure out a cure. That wasn't solved in three issues. That was solved over a period of time. Uh, cataclysm. There was an earthquake. You know, cities are destroyed. That wasn't solved in three issues. That was solved over time. Like, like all these other stories uh, where like these stakes are are matching this 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 sto- this three part story. There's reason why the stakes are that high because there's time for the story to resonate over it and to have the readers care about it. But I'm gonna get to the fact that like this issue doesn't really address the fact that it's about Robin, <laughs> supposedly. It's about like these these loser villains who we don't care about, whining about Batman, saying this nonsense about you know, see Batman whenever you try to save people you really hurt them somehow. Like. I mean, when you look at the the second page and like the two page splash or the like the um, horizontal panel above, it's like it's just like raining cats and dogs of of you know people and rubble rubble and all that stuff, and it's like you're not gonna care. And this is the problem with this is the problem with comic books right now, I think, and like people why people don't read them because they don't think that there's any resonance or any human emotion. This is going back to Batwing and these storylines. There can be, in fact. By and large, there is, but issues like this, you really need to have people care about what's going on to really be invested in and spend the two ninety nine to, to to read them. And so I totally agree with Dustin saying, like, no, like it's just this 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 should have happened. If there's a big brawl, first of all, is Batman really going to just rely on Damien to help him with this sort of situation? He's not going to call on Batgirl or Dick or anyone else. Now, true, Dick, Jason, and Tim. Like arbitrarily show up out of nowhere, Power Ranger style, to, to bail out Damien, which I didn't like because 
the idea that Jason Todd would, would, would just roll over and do this on his own is kind of preposterous from the way he's been written. But never mind. Like, it's too pat. It's too easy. Well, the one thing I, I, I don't want to cut you off, but the, the one thing that's kind of interesting is that this book has not really addressed that Jason Todd is part of the, the Red Hood and the Outlaws either because he has an apartment right there in Gotham City and has his shop set up right there. Because they showed that in the previous issue when Damien goes to, you know, get his trophy from Jason Todd. His apartment's right there in Gotham. So he clearly is working out of Gotham even though he's not in his own title. Yeah, and I hated that. Like he says in uh, one of the one, – the issue with Mr. Freeze and Red Hood and the Outlaws, he says, oh, Gotham City, how I hate you. And like he has like this, this, this – this, um, Loft and got them randomly for convenience of the story. It's like okay, you don't have to abide by the storylines in the comics, but you at least leave the continuity of the characters to resonate towards the stories. What is going on? It's like these characters don't even exist except for their own titles. I mean, Damien's been written so inconsistently in the past six months. That should, that should be that should be proof enough, you know. Like, and and I'm not even going into the fact that like Jason Todd's walking away, like you know, oh, four is a crowd. I see, I see you jerks later. And, like, at no point does Batman, like, want to talk to him. <laughs> That's a whole other talking point that I'll get to you someday. But, um, I mean, I actually didn't hate the issue either. I actually think the second half was interesting. Although, the ending, I didn't think of the Dark Knight Rises. I just thought of, I also thought of the Avengers. Because, like, it's literally Batman grabbing onto the onto the missile and disarming it. And they're, they they play it so dramatically. Like, like Damien's, like, almost crying. Is he going to make it? And we know... To kind of quote another podcast, we know that Batman's not going to die in this random story where Gotham City is, you know, saved at the last second. So it's like, you know, the whole story at, at the end had so much promise, and it kind of, like, deflated. I mean, Damien's issues about Robins and the other Robins and him being Robin, it's solved in two panels. It's just... Uh, I kind of liked it, but there was there was a lot of cons to this story. Two and a half out of five batterings. Um, <laughs> once again, I kind of... I, I get what other people are saying about the book. I also I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it actually, and as much as it is just a fight book. But I think on one hand I do enjoy the epicness of it because it's so exciting. But at the same time, as I was kind of saying earlier about how books they're just kind of there between the big storylines which make a difference. This this feels like it should make a difference, but it just doesn't. Or at least we know it won't. And if it did, that would be fantastic. But there's this whole thing about you know, are the people going to trust Batman anymore because they've been branded by the the bat symbol and stuff? But at the end of the issue, everyone's like, "Woohoo, Batman, you saved us!" and it's just instantly forgiven. So it seems like I, I also felt that there was this kind of Dark Knight Rises, and obviously, there's—I don't think there's any way at all that it was influenced or I, I think it'd be completely separate. And I think that. Peter Tomasi would be stupid even if you found out what the plot of the film was to even reference it I think it would be stupid because I think people would instantly kind of recognise it and go okay what have you done you've done this as we're kind of doing now but I don't think he had anything to do with it I just feel that like Dustin was saying kind of bad timing but I think because of that and just because of how big this, this story feels in this book it's just it's a bit disappointing because it just feels like it could be so much more but at the same time I, I did enjoy it a lot I also feel that, um, I think Patrick Gleason's art is kind of growing on me now I'm not sure if this was better than what the stuff he's done in the past but 
I've always said I, I think I prefer the smaller panels and stuff, but he always manages to throw in a few really, really good panels, ones which I really enjoy in amongst the ones which I think are atrocious. But they're definitely leaning towards the good now, and I'm starting to enjoy his artwork in the book. I think it's kind of matches the tone of the story, and uh, especially that in in Cal Batman and stuff. I think sometimes his people look a bit odd, but I think definitely in the fight scenes, Batman and Robin they look really good, and uh, yeah, really enjoy the art. I, so I did enjoy this issue, but pretty much the same points as everyone else. It's kind of it's almost like I want to give it more but because I know it doesn't it's not going to really make a difference it's it's holding it back which is you know it's it's a shame but if it's not going to if it, if we start in the in the series seeing more repercussions from this then I'll come back and change my score but I'll give it th- three and a half for now no sir I'll give it four out of five batterings for now yeah, I I, uh, I like Donovan was shoved off the cast from last month, and uh, you know I'm just I read it still I read it, but you know I'm having a difficult time connecting this this particular issue with the previous one because all of a sudden and it's kind of like uh, Batwing in this manner, all of a sudden we're immersed in this huge fight right in the middle of the city, and of course the sun's coming up, which kind of weirded me out a little bit, and and you know there's just not too much lead up here, and it, it really is, the, the scope and the scale is just so huge for just, you know 22 pages I, I really liked the quote that Damien said, uh, you threw me into the wrong store, since in fact they did, th- uh, you know, give him a great deal of ammunition in a knives store. I just thought that was cute coming from him. And then, yes, you know, it's great to see all these Robins together, but really, all of a sudden they're here, and when was the last time that this happened? Night of the Owls. Now, Night of the Owls was epic, and that took a very long time to complete, basically a year if you think about it and here we have this one issue so this is as epic a fight as Night of the Owls and yet it's all done in one issue that basically is really um, what is the uh, proof to the pudding that Dustin was in the kitchen making basically Um, you know even Jason Todd who hates Bruce I I, I don't know that just seemed a little unbelievable and and I don't really believe for a second that Red Hood gives a damn whether or not Batman gets upset uh, with him killing or making kill shots Todd is going to be violent it's in his nature and I think it just would have been much more realistic to see him drop somebody and then have someone go off on him sort of like Dinah to Ivy or Batwoman did to Chase in that previous issue. I did like seeing the, I guess you wouldn't call it the bat suit. Um, the bat type, armor. The, yeah, the bat armor. I liked seeing that. I liked that Terminus has a plan B, kind of like Ivy had a plan B in the previous Birds of Prey. And it's really the main plan, I would say. I mean, this was like just sort of delaying the inevitable and to keep them occupied. And and I did like the panel. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was cliche now with, with uh, The Dark Knight Returns. I kind of have in my notes, or The Dark Knight Rises, it also sort of reminded me of Dark Knight Returns. Uh, just with Batman heading for the rocket and all the, the Robins looking up for him, or looking up at him. And, and Batman wins, which really doesn't seem surprising at all, but it really felt to me like anticlimactic. Like, there are a few times when I, like, I'm reading and I have, like, a reaction like, oh... 
where's <laughs> the end of it? What? Um, I mean, all this build up and then it's over, and it really doesn't sit like a normal victory. So I'm wondering if there's more to come, or we're just we're just gonna leave it like that and move on to a new story. And and at the end, I felt like my balloon had been deflated. I was just like a little girl at a birthday party and a pop because Dick just hands over in a scream of stick to Damien with no sort of lesson learned. Just uh, you already have an R on your chest. And I just feel like something more could have been learned because the other interactions that Damien had been having with either Tim or Jason uh, at least one of the parties, you know, really learned something solid and this is all the wisdom and guidance that Dick gave him. And, you know, I just wondered if, if Babs's hair would have made a return, but I guess the Escremistic means something more to uh to Dick at this point in time. I give this three point five out of five batterings. I kinda of thought it'd be funny if the Escremistic he gave Damien was the one which was held in police evidence against him. <laughs> it's like, oh, Damien did it, it wasn't me. That would be awesome. I'm going to give him a 5. Alright, Batman Robin number 12 gets a total of 3.5 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our last issue, Batman number 12. You tried to kill Aquaman. Why? Gee, why would a hired gun try to shoot somebody? Could it be that someone paid me to? Who? Oh, come on, babe. You know I can't tell you that professional ethics but then again <laughs> if you make it worth my while I'll take it from here you can't scare me Batman let me give you one word of advice okay I'll tell I'll tell what did he say you don't want to know written by Scott Snyder Art by Becky Cloonan and Andy Clark. Mm-hmm. All right, the story is basically a one-off issue of the character of Harper Roll, which we've seen in the past pop up during the Court of Owls. Um, the issue starts off with we learn that Harper Roll is a technician who works on cables um, in the sewers, and uh, time takes place several weeks ago, and she lives in the Narrows. Um, in an area that Bruce Wayne is trying to revitalize. And um, we see her brother trying to make her look very nice because she's actually going to a Wayne Gala. Um, And she's been invited because she lives in one of the buildings that is being destroyed. And as it turns out, we find out later in the issue that uh, she is there specifically because... Um, she did some work for her landlord, and her landlord gave her the ticket instead of paying her the $300 that it cost to do it. Um, she meets Alfred as she's trying to pocket a bunch of cookies and brownies. Alfred explains to her that she really needs to try the brownies. She takes some of those, and uh, then they have a discussion back and forth about um, whether or not she believes what Bruce Wayne is doing is good, to which she basically says... Um, well, it's great that he wants to do what he's doing, but the reality is he doesn't have to deal with what we have to deal with while we are down in the Narrows every day. Um, as she comes home, she finds out that her brother has been beaten up and the back of his head is shaved um, to spell a specific word, um, which I'll only spell F-A-G, and um, because he is actually gay, he the, there were some neighborhood people who were trying to make fun of him um, Harper actually tries to make this uh, 
go over a little bit better by shaving her head to match his and uh, explains that you know the, the, the guys who are doing this, they can't keep doing this. As they're walking home one day, um, they, get in, they, they meet some of these boys who are constantly beating up her brother Cullen. And uh, after she threatens to tase them, a number of other people show up and it looks like they're going to be outnumbered when all of a sudden Batman appears, beats the crap out of the boys that are there, tells them to take off and leave them alone. Harper seems to be completely stunned by this, and as well as Cullen, and Harper takes up a obsession with Batman. Um, she starts looking over a number of different videos that she's found online of Batman, mostly which are videos that are taken from people's cell phones, um, and as it turns out, she finds a little glitch that uh, she finds out that Batman has a control over the surveillance systems in Gotham City. He has these things called bat boxes which makes it so that he becomes a ghost within Gotham City so that nobody, no camera ever actually sees him. She steals one of these boxes and tries to make it a little bit better so that if one box goes out the other one will still have enough signal to keep it so that he goes, that, so, that he's, he, so that he is safe. Um, she goes down to the sewer to um, install this box and she comes across Batman, who is actually trying to take out Tiger Fox, um, way back in the early issues of Batman. We're talking before Batman number three. Um, Tiger Shark is actually easily taken out by Batman, but uh, as it turns out, he had some help from Harper, who turned on a runoff valve release that who stopped the boat that was down in the sewers. We then um, cut to her going home and telling her brother how she saved Batman and she installed the box. And uh, as she's working on um, another one of the boxes, Batman approaches her and speaks these specific words, whatever you think you're doing, you're finished. Um, she then explains that she's trying to help him and he explains that no, he's, she's finished. Um, as he walks off, she says to herself that this is the last... There's no way that she's ever going to be finished helping Batman out. And that is the end of Batman number 12. Alright, Batman number 12. I thought this was a great one-off issue. It shows that not only can Scott Snyder do long story arcs, which he's very good at and has done extensively through the Black Mirror and the Court of Owls, but he can also do one-off issues. Um, this... I mean, it wasn't necessarily needed. We didn't need to know about this character, but if this is a character that Snyder is planning on using more in the future, it is interesting to know. It is kind of interesting to get some kind of knowledge about the character that we that just randomly popped up during that Court of Owls. I believe it was Batman number seven that she was in. Um, she popped up and was and helped bring you know shock Batman back to life after she, after his body ran through the sewers when he was stuck in the labyrinth for the Court of Owls. Um, it is interesting to know a little bit more about the character, but at the same time, you know, we don't need to know. It's just, you know, another added thing that just adds to the universe that Scott Snyder's creating. Um, I think this Harper Collins could be an interesting character. She's clearly not going to be a hero, but she could essentially become somewhat of a tech person for Batman as or... Or even better, I was I was going to say Oracle, but then I thought no, probably not Oracle. What I was what I actually am thinking is more of a Harold Allnut for those of you who ah. you know, have your uh, history of Batman down. History. She could definitely be that. Yes, the history. <laughs> I love the history. <laughs> Shipper. Um, 
But nonetheless, um, I thought this was great. I thought Becky Cloonan's art was great. Um, Andy Clark doing some of the art in the back was also great. I'm just kind of curious to know what what the decision was where Becky Cloonan couldn't finish all of the issue. Um, but I also noticed that there wasn't a backup in this issue. There was just a really long one story. So that could have been why initially she was set to only do the first 20 pages and somebody else was going to do the last seven pages or something else because it was planned to be a backup and then they just decided to make it longer. I don't really know. It really didn't seem that off. Annie Clark's art wasn't that far off from what Becky Cloonan was doing. I thought this was good. I mean, it's not something that I'm probably going to sit there and say, oh, it's one of the greatest comics ever, but it was a good one-off issue and it's what one-off issues should be. Four out of five batterings. This is a really... Finally something good. <laughs> this is a really solid one and done. Um, and... Because Scott Snyder's gone from the James Jr. storyline to the Night of Owls storyline, Court of Owls storyline, all that kind of stuff. Like, because he's, he is the Batman writer, I very much welcome these kind of stories where he has a run, but it's not just storyline after storyline after storyline. He kind of gets bogged down in an ongoing thing. He's a Batman writer. He can kind of get away with this stuff a lot, a lot, quick, a lot easier. Um, and I really liked it. Um, I was always... When Harper Rowe first showed up, I was wondering, like, who's this Ginchy kind of girl who, like... Uh, you know, she, she's clearly has her own style about her. I was wondering, like, where he's going with this, because, you know, like, the punk, like, young teenage... How old is she in this? How Do we know how old she is? She is probably at least 18, I'm guessing somewhere in her early 20s. 18 to 21? Like, kind of, you know, the, yeah. kind of, like, young kind of girl, like, uh, you know, postmodern hipster kind of chick. I was wondering where he was going on with this, because that, that kind of could fall in his face, but, like, I really like the character... Um, and I like the fact, one of the best parts about this, I thought, was that um, the way she kind of like got the bat boxes and kind of figured that out felt very, very believable to me. Because it wasn't like Batman was being stupid and she figured it out. Or she's just insanely, we have another genius character haphazardly thrown into a comic. Like, she was smart, but she wasn't like, she looked out for it. She kind of paid attention. She did her groundwork. It's very much Tim Drake in the late 80s, early 90s, where, you know, if you put your mind to it, you could figure it out, but it's not some sort of, like, insane, you know, contrivance that makes the characters look, like, like too smart or too dumb, and I really like that. Um, I liked Becky Cloonan's art. Um, it was a nice... It was nice, I like how uh, Snyder's artists kind of, like, have these radical styles which kind of divvy up the, the moods of the story. Um, I thought that the storyline with her brother was very strong and, and like well told without being too pretentious or, you know, kind of going overboard like like Judd Wink might have done. Um, I thought Andy Clark's artwork was great. I actually like Andy Clark as a Batman artist. Um, I, I liked how it was. It was sort of like Batwoman, where the action superhero stuff was done in a different style and it kind of added to the mood, which Snyder's books are great for. And, I mean, I, I, I'm interested to see where this is going, whether she's going to be, like, you know, another ally of Batman or if she's going to be just a fanboy of his or fangirl of his. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a fun issue of Batman, which they're all usually good, but, like, it's rare that they're kind of fun. So I'll give this four and a half out of five battle ranks. Yeah, I didn't even really think of it until it was said that this is, I think, the, well, it is the first sort of one-shot type issue that I read of Scott Snyder and I thought it was very solid it took more than an average issue I guess if he ran into the backup but it was still fun I, I liked Becky Cloonan's style it was had it seemed similar in a way I think there were kind of elements of Capullo and the elements of uh, Dustin Nguyen maybe 
just kind of some of the, the spikiness of it, but I really liked it, and it felt as as Don was saying, it felt fun, and that was it was nice to read a fun Scott Snyder story. I I really enjoyed it. Like like Don was saying, it didn't feel it didn't feel overplayed. It's very easy to kind of throw in diverse characters as you know just kind of token characters or just to be a bit like look look what I've done this means that I'm open minded award please (laughs) yeah when you know in reality drawing attention to it almost makes it worse in some ways sometimes but this felt fairly natural It, it wasn't the first thing that was said it wasn't just, you didn't just jump straight in and be like, hey, look at this character, this is a gay character. But it kind of led you there a bit more, and, th- and then you kind of, it was said, and you're like, oh, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> but, uh, no, I thought that was good. I, I, so, yeah, I liked Becky Clean's artwork. I really liked Andy Clark's artwork, although I thought that the jump was a bit harsh, um, just because some of the, the characters they had, they just, they just looked a bit different, like, uh, Harper's hairstyle and stuff, and they just there, there were differences, so it was a bit jarring. But I, I still liked both art styles, and I'd be happy to see both of them again, not together, but <laughs> chipper, but <laughs> doing their own bat stories. Um, but it, yeah, she, I didn't find Harper nearly as annoying as I did in the first time we met her, where. I thought she was an interesting character, but I, I believe she's the line "epic bat fail," which still to this day I'm angry about. But I, I really liked the interaction with Alfred. I thought that was really fun, and yeah, I'm just I'm I hope that we're going to see some more of her. I hope she doesn't just get thrown aside, and it's going to be interesting to see what kind of role she plays. If like Don was saying, she just becomes kind of a fangirl, just always kind of waiting on the wings, or if she actually does get involved and start helping out a bit or or what's going to happen but it's definitely going to be interesting to see where this goes so I'll give this four and a half out of batterings as well uh, well I guess two things to start off just we're getting a taste as to the writing of is my mic okay uh, the writing of Tinian since uh, he's going to be uh, well we're going to be reading him a lot since he's going to be the, the writer on the Talon series so it was great to see the, the team up here and kind of get a taste for that. And a trivia somebody told me is that this is actually the first time a female has drawn either Batman or Detective Comics book. So that really? was kind of exciting. I, I really liked the art. Um, obviously, there's sort of an anime-ish style, um, but I, I really, I'm a big fan of uh, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, and, and I think that it really fits this character here because this particular book, I think, even though it did certainly have darker themes, um, I mean, the character is lighter, and she can kind of joke around, and the book overall was lighter than just a Batman-centric book. I did find it amusing that Cullen wanted Harper to get Tim Drake's attention so that he could then, you know, date Tim Drake. I thought that was funny. Um, It was also amusing that Harper Rowe is a name of a publishing company, but I'm sure that's just happenstance. I liked that, you know, we're hearing from someone that is actually living in the Narrows and what her opinion is on the restoration because we've really only seen it from the side of Bruce who really in his heart is, you know, he's trying to help this city that he loves. Um, And then, you know, 
dotted throughout these books are, are these protesters that really they don't like it but you don't really go into why they don't like it but we kind of see from Harper why um, yeah I'm, I'm a little surprised and I don't know how much I want to uh, go into this because I just don't want to make I don't want to insult anyone just you know kind of what Colin is going through and I definitely know that this sort of thing happens uh, that people really I mean they attack uh, gay people uh, you know off the street and everything but it seemed like it was really heavy in this book, and I just, I mean, I've obviously not experienced this. I, I'm not, you know, a member of those sorts of uh, circles that would um, be so cruel. But, I mean, they do normally do it on the streets is what I would think, but it seems like, gosh, I mean, at every turn, I mean, they break into his house and come and get him. And I just thought, I mean, either it's because it is the Narrows, and this is exactly what Harper was talking about, that Bruce does not know what it's like to live there, or it was just, like, too much because it just seems he walks out his door and then he gets beat up basically every day. And I just wondered, you know, is that realistic or not? I really like this character of Harper, and and I think that was the point of this this whole story. Um, I can't really believe that we waited this long uh, with only really one scene to go on way back when. I don't even, that was really early on, probably like six or seven. Uh, She stands up for her brother. She's strong, and she's really smart. And, you know, frankly, she is like what Babs Gordon should be in this particular continuity and has been in the past. Uh, The thing she says, the jokes she makes, you're right there with her. You find it amusing, but you don't want to wring her neck. Um, I mean, it's fun to sort of go along. Like, she's there with Batman, and she's saying, hey, I was trying to help you. And he said, no, you didn't. And then she's working it out in her head. She's like, oh, you cut those feeds, you know, on purpose so that the police would meet you at the way, way point. Like, I mean, she's not an idiot. Like, she was really trying to help. And you can tell how smart she is by all the things that she does. But then she's sort of, like, making her way. And I just see her as, like, really, like a Tim Drake kind of character because she's got this sort of detective thing going on. And she's figuring out how he's working. You've got Babs Gordon because she's got this this intellect and this really great personality, and she's strong. She's a strong female character, and definitely like a Carrie Kelly along with it, I think, because she does have sort of this this fangirl aspect of Batman. Uh, I also like that just like Bruce was comparing different things to the city, like his life and everything that was going on uh, in Night of the Owls, she compares life and and other experiences that she has to the Gotham grid. So they are very similar in that respect. Um, You know, it's really going to depend on how she's used after this, but I'm glad that Batman right now is not accepting of her because that was something that I didn't really truly believe in in uh, The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller because it just like accepted Carrie Kelly right away. Way. And so I'm glad that he's not kind of latched onto her, but I really see her as perhaps like a proxy, the pro- uh, Wendy Harris that we had in Batgirl, just someone that comes on the scenes and like insinuates herself in there and is not necessarily a sidekick because he already has those, but perhaps someone that he can go to and uh, she can help him. And I'm just, I'm interested to see where it goes from here. And if you would have asked me, gosh, five months <laughs> earlier, you know, what What do you think of this Harper care? I mean, none of us knew what this Harper person was, and it was one of those things, like, they put her out there as if we already knew her, and I didn't really care about her then, but I care about her now, and uh, it was it was a great issue, and I'm excited to read more about the character. 4.5 out of 5 batarangs. Alright, so that is going to give Batman number 12 a total of 
four and a half out of five batterings. That is all of our comic book reviews. Let's throw over to John with Bat Books for Beginners. to another episode of Back Books for Beginners. I'm your host, John, and this week we will be looking at Black Canary Oracle, Birds of Prey. This was written by Chuck Dixon and has art by Gary Frank. It was released in November 1995, um, although the cover does actually say 1996, which is wrong. Uh, it reached number 68 in the comic sales, according to ComicCon. And it can be bought on Amazon uh, in America for $8.75, which is a bit of a bargain. So, will we be entertained by this comic, or is it destined to be a failure? Let's find out as we delve into Black Canary and Oracle Birds of Prey. We open with the president of Relisiasia giving cheap power to his country. However, when he flips a switch, it explodes, killing a lot of people. We then cut to Black Canary, who is being carjacked. She easily beats the muggers and drives off, returning home, where she listens to some phone messages, all telling her that basically she owes money. And there is a final message on that, from Oracle telling her to go to Gotham. Meanwhile, we cut to a man called Nick Devine, who's giving talk about how emerging nations can exploit their resources, when he is attacked by a man who shouts that he is a poisoner and has killed Bawanti. Devine easily dispatches the man and makes a witty remark. He is being watched, however, by Oracle. She gets a call from her father, Jim Gordon, asking if she wants to go out for dinner. However, Babs blows him off in favour of sorting out Black Canary. Diana has arrived in Gotham, and via a videotape left in her room, it tells her about Nick Devine, who is being attacked by a group called the Green Brotherhood. Her mission is to infiltrate Devine's group and uncover who's behind the Brotherhood. She does this by meeting him at a party and, for rather contrived reasons, manages to sit in on a meeting between Devine and a man called General Mubara. Black Canary discovers Lynx and her gang are also providing protection for Nick as well. However, before the meeting takes place, they are attacked by the Green Brotherhood, who, it appears, tries to kill General Mubara. Lynx and Canary deal with the Brotherhood easily, 
which gets Canary a job on Divine's staff, helping to defend him. We then move on to Divine, who is conducting a deal with Mubara to get a chemical plant in his country. Whilst this is happening, Black Canary and Oracle communicate about a tattoo that Diana saw on one of the Green Brotherhood's arms and speculate on how Lynx could be involved. Nick, Black Canary and Lynx then fly to Burundi, where Divine has built a large dam to provide power for the country. Next, we get some more what to do next exposition between Black Canary and Oracle, and they decide to head to the dam, where Black Canary uncovers and attacks a number of the Green Brotherhood's members who are planting explosives onto the dam. It turns out that it is in fact Lynx behind the Brotherhood, and they fight, with Lynx managing to detonate the explosives. Black Canary gets knocked down and we get a speech from Oracle about life being tough and how hard it is being paralysed, etc, etc. It works and Black Canary gets up and takes down Lynx. However, before she can find out who is behind it all, the dam collapses and Lynx escapes. Black Canary pieces it together and challenges Nick's Divine in the middle of a meeting. She, she points out how he uses poor building materials and inexperienced labour crews and then pockets most of the budget. So to cover it up, the fact that he's done a poor job, he uses a terrorist group to pretend to destroy his work. Black Canary has a moment where she may kill Nick Divine, but in the end doesn't. The issue ends with Black Canary heading to Santa Prisca to break a white slavery ring. So, in review, I like both characters. I think Oracle's always been a very interesting character, and I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Black Canary. However, here, I like neither of them. This is just contrived, it's stupid, I found it boring, nothing actually happens, to be honest, in the entire issue, and there is no actual need for them to be together. I didn't feel there was any reason pulling them together apart from this guy, Nick Devine. They spend most of their time doing exposition and communicating back and forth, which is, is fair enough. Um, I can understand why people would need to do that. However, when it goes on and on and on, it becomes boring very quickly. And I felt that their need to explain everything was pointless. I you know, have a brain so often I can link two things together. I don't need it pointed out to me. This is Chuck Dixon, to be honest, at his worst. He can't write these two characters at all. Or it just feels like he's cobbled this together because he wanted to write something. And I just didn't care at all during the entire thing. I, I'm really struggling to find things to say about it because, frankly, I switched off about halfway through. The art, to me, was good. The colouring and texture was sublime. There were some odd moments um, a couple of times. There was the gritted teeth syndrome, which is where a character seems to be able to speak normally and give long, convoluted dialogue through gritted teeth. And it happened a couple of times, which was a bit annoying, but I think that's just me being nitpicky. So, overall, I thought this issue was truly rubbish. Like I said, it's Chuck Dixon at his worst. It's boring and pointless, and there's no need for it. 
and I say that because I like Chuck Dixon. I think he's a good writer when he gets it spot on, which fortunately he does do more than he gets it wrong, but when he gets it wrong, he really gets it wrong. So I'm going to give this two out of five batarangs and suggest probably why I want to give this a miss. So that was my review of Black Canary and Oracle Birds of Prey. Next week we will be doing Batman Gotham Knights 2 and hopefully it might be a little bit better. So thanks very much for listening and I'll hand you back over to Dustin and the guys. Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Um, we are currently, as we speak, um, we are actually at over two hours oh. from the time we re- started recording. So we're going to cut this episode a little bit shorter without the discussion. Um, but I will have an announcement uh, after I go over what we'll be covering next time on the podcast. So what we'll be covering next time on the podcast, we'll be covering Nightwing number 12, Batwoman number 12, Catwoman number 12, Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 12. Birds of Prey, number 12. Batman Incorporated, number 3. And Batman the Dark Knight, number 12. So, decent chunk of books for next time. Um, not really a whole lot more than we've, we've had in the last couple times. A um, couple different things I want to throw out there um, as far as announcements go before we close out this episode. Um, we are going to be doing a couple different things as starting in um, October, and I want to say this now because I, I want to. If there is any, uh, there is any uh, pushback about these decisions that we're making, I want to hear about them with plenty of time to change if necessary. But uh, this is what we're planning on doing. Um, as of October, any of the main titles that are not featuring, they're not part of the main line of titles. Um, we will not be covering those titles. Um, that means we will no longer be covering Batman Beyond Unlimited. Um, we will not be covering, um, as far as uh, some of the other books that have been coming out, we haven't been covering Batman Arkham City. We haven't been covering, we will not be covering Legends of the Dark Knight. Um, and this is specifically, there, there's a specific reason for this. The thing is, the the podcast, as much as we would love to cover every single issue that we, that we and have. And we would. Uh, and we would. But the reality is, there's a lot of bad books. There, mm-hmm. There's a ridiculous amount of bad books, and I really want to, you know, once, uh, you know, once a month when we do the the second episode of the month, I really want to be able to do the DC Universe spotlighting and spend a little bit more time uh, spotlighting a different title within the DC Universe, and that could be, in fact, a book that is, you know, a Batman book, but not necessarily one we're covering. So as of um, as of September, September is the zero month issues, so we'll be covering all of the books we've normally been covering in addition to Talon. But as of October, we will only be covering Batman, Detective Comics, Batman Robin, Batgirl, Batwing, Batman the Dark Knight, Birds of Prey, Catwoman, Batwoman, and Nightwing, as well as Talon. We will be dropping Red Hood and the Outlaws, specifically because um, the book as we've seen over the past couple months, is dealing less and less with Jason Todd. And don't get me wrong, Jason Todd will still be in the book. We'll still be posting up 
you know information about Red Hood on the website because Jason Todd is in the book. But for the most part, the book is not a Jason Todd story. Um, it's a Jason Todd and the Outlaws story. So the Outlaws are featured just as much as Jason Todd. And because of that, there's not a real reason we need to continue to cover Red Hood and the Outlaws. Um, that's not to say that we couldn't spotlight it during a DC Universe spotlight. That's not to say that we will not be covering it on the website, as I already mentioned. Um, but that is a book that we're going to be cutting out because it's it's kind of falling in the lines of The Outsiders when we used to cover The Outsiders. It was Batman-heavy, and then it became more... It, it became a lot less Batman-heavy. Um, the reason we're cutting Batman Beyond Unlimited is because, quite honestly... Batman Beyond Unlimited is falling in the same kind of strain as Legends of the Dark Knight and Aww. Batman Arkham City because it is a digital first book. It is being released digitally first. It is coming out the same month in print, but the reality is that uh, Batman Beyond isn't technically in the current continuity of the books that we're covering. So it's just another book that will be taking off our plate of things that we're covering on the podcast. It'll be about 12 books. It's not really going to change a whole lot. Talon's coming out at the beginning of the month, so the first episode of the month will have an extra book. But that means there's six books at the beginning of the month, six books at the end of the month, so the episode should be a little bit more even as far as books go. And with the books being even, that means we also have the ability to have discussions because we're not having one episode where we have eight books to cover and then a DCU spotlight as well. So that will give us the opportunity to have a discussion, hopefully at least once a month starting in October. In addition to that, um, as I've stated in the previous podcast, we're going to do a much better job of trying to put out some more specials. So um, the discussion point, which I'd like Don to reveal the discussion point that we were actually going to talk about right now. Well, Dustin and, and listeners, what we were going to talk about uh, originally was... With the solicitation that Nightwing would have encountered a Lady Shiva, who he's apparently known for a while, thus making her the same age, I thought it would be a good idea to talk about DC's uh, proclivity to de-age the characters and its impact on potential new readers and the DC New 52 as a whole. It's become uh, almost a standard trope of DC Comics to sort of like take away timelines and kind of have the characters be younger and start them out uh, ideally from a fresher, less experienced perspective. I mean, Batgirl is the, is the, is the uh, poster child of this. And I really think, the four of us really do think that it's worth uh, discussing. Um, and for you guys to uh, invite you in, in the discussion and see how this affects your viewing, reading, uh, long-term fans, uh, new fans, and how important is it really to place value on a character's age. So, that was what we were planning on talking about, but honestly, the the reality was I didn't want to talk about that and kind of skimp on the discussion mm-hmm. because it is something that is, I believe, deserves a lot of time. And that is why we're actually going to have a special dedicated to nothing but the timeline factor within the Batman universe. Yeah. So, what we're planning on doing is we still have our one-shot specials, which... Um, that's also a little bit changed as well. The one-shot special that we were planning on doing, there's been a ton of one-shots that have been released over not only the past year, but actually for the past three years. Um, so because of that, what we're planning on doing is breaking our one-shot one shot special into two different episodes to cover all of these different one-shots that we didn't cover actually on the podcast, um, to cover them all. 
Um, and then also because if we covered as many one-shots as there are in one episode, it would be possibly four to five hours long. So we're trying to break it up a little bit better. So we're going to do one part that uh, we will hopefully release in early September, and the other part will release uh, in October. But the, the what I'd like to do is... Um, the special that we're planning for November will be this timeline special. And uh, the reason why we're going to put it off just a little bit longer is because of two things. Number one, I believe that um, the zero issues are very important to, to take in consideration because some of the things that are going to either be addressed or revealed during the zero issues is something that really needs to factor into this timeline thing. As, a, as at least I'm hoping some of the answers or some more clarity will arrive from some of these zero issues, although I'm sure that's not actually going to be the case. But that, and also I think um, once the Joker comes back in uh, issue 13 of Batman, I believe that we might see a little bit more hints of history from Scott Snyder. So November will be the time frame of when we'll release the timeline uh, episode for the specials, but that's not to say we won't have any other specials in between now and there. That's just saying that's our plan. Mm -hmm. The one-shot special should have been released this month, as we've been promising for months now, but the reality is that we had to adjust a couple things, and it'll come out in September, um, the first first uh, the first part of that. Now, we may adjust, and we may put out the first part in September, and then hold the second part till November if the discussion for the timeline becomes more relevant we really need to talk about it in October things can change I'm just throwing it out there as far as what we are going to talk about but with that timeline special what I really would like to do is I'd like to get as much fan interaction as possible with that so that means um, we are going to um, we want a ton of comments from fans related to the the uh, timeline we want to be able to promote that with enough time to get the feedback. So anybody out there who has any comments about the timeline or the change in continuity related to the Batman universe, please email us your thoughts and we'll hold those uh, comments until we actually record that special. And lo and behold, we might actually try to bring in some fans if you guys got some really good ideas to talk about when it comes to the actual continuity. So just... If, you are, if you've got a really good idea and you're interested in possibly being on that special, please email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. So with that, I think that's pretty much all of the announcements I have as far as changes go upcoming. Um, the normal podcast, obviously, is still out there. In addition to help, uh, new host on the the, po- the Batman Universe podcast, we're also looking for help on the website. As even though The Dark Knight Rises has released and there's not really really huge news coming anytime soon related to the movies um we still have video games we still have merchandise we still have tv shows that should be ramping up with new episodes shortly so hopefully um we can get some more uh more contributors for the website so if you see something out there and not necessarily that you're interested in contributing to the website but you see you have seen something out there like a digital comic that someone's done or a digital short or even some videos online that you think really deserve recognition, let us know, and uh, hopefully we can try to get that stuff going on the website. Um, Our hope is to really expand the website um, now that there's not a lot of movie news. Um, And by expanding, I mean bringing a lot more editorial content to the website, more so than we've had in the past couple months um, because of the, the amount of news that has been coming out 
less news, more editorials. That's the goal. So if you're interested, email us and let us know. All right, so that is everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website for all the news related to the comics daily, as well as everything related to movie, TV, merchandise, video game, and general news. Check out all of our other podcasts. Our special for The Dark Knight Rises is up on iTunes and the website, so you can definitely check that out, as well as Stitcher, for those of you who have Stitcher. Stitcher recently announced that they are adding um, certain car companies, including GM and BMW, are adding the Stitcher app into the vehicle out of the factory. So um, if you have a GM or BMW that's brand new or Ford has had the, the the app in the car for quite some time you have the ability to listen to our podcast in your car without having to use your iPad or iPhone or any other device that you might have so if you're interested in Stitcher check out the advertisement at the top of the page that, uh, of all the websites and it will direct you to exactly what where you can find us on Stitcher and how to get Stitcher on your mobile phone or your other devices in addition to that you can Head over to Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube and follow us on all three of those for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And, of course, you can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. That's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This has been Donovan. This is Jai. And this is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Universe comic podcast. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs> Goodbye, and I apologize for my broken mic. Where's the trigger? Where's the trigger? Goodbye. And when Shipper Spotlight finally takes over the Batman universe, we'll have a special in February that highlights all of the loves of Batman throughout this year. And the podcast hosts who ship themselves with me. <laughs>
now that the Dark Knight Rises has been released, we're looking for. I'm sorry. No, Melinda's not fired. We just don't have anybody. I know, since I know. May. I pulled out a T-shirt. Separitos. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Dustin. <laughs>